0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Epic O'Tearoa Create a Better Future podcast, where every week we share uplifting messages told by New Zealanders in their own words. Our mission is to share the learnings from those lived experiences, inspire our listeners to take positive action, and go out there and create a better future. Proudly brought to you by co-founders Joe Horto, former soldier in the Special Air Service, family man and aspiring entrepreneur, and Brian Osman, a knowledge engineer, family man, entrepreneur and all-round good dude. Thank you for connecting with us today. Now let's get started and create a better future. Let's go. everybody the beginning of this podcast commences with a little bit of banter and back and forth with our special guest Nick Caldwell before we dive into his conversation I don't know if you can see the background on mine bro but I've got the mill t-shirt up one of the original ones
1: right. I need to put my glasses on <laughs> <laughs> Bro, he's talking based on the colour. Actually, we,
0: we saw you when you were sitting down originally and then you put your glasses on and I was like, this guy is looking more distinguished and everything. Mate,
2: all I'll
1: take look, that. You look like a scholar, bro. I have oh. never been accused of being a scholar.
0: That's <laughs> so it's on my um it's on my right shoulder. Uh you'll probably see it once it's fully edited and stuff when it's in right. landscape view, but um yeah. I've got the one of the original T shirts up. Uh, whether you work your REAP with the logo in the background on it. So Wait, that's mate. sitting there. Your shoulders um, are actually taking out most of this, screen. <laughs> <laughs> I can edit out some of that stuff. Maybe I might leave that part in there where you mentioned you've never been accused of being a scholar.
2: <laughs> 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 what a good start I'll, to the podcast. I'll leave that in there
0: as the segue. No. <laughs> but anyway, we'll get into it. Kia ora koutou. hello everybody and welcome back to this epic or Create a Better Future podcast and in particular this special series in the service of others, Who Dares Wins? And it is Brian and I, it is our great privilege to have our very first former Australian special air service operator, Nick Caldwell. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself shortly but this gentleman, for those of you that uh, may have been listening to previous podcasts, This guy is somebody that uh, holds a special place in my heart and in my mind. Um, He's always been and has been and continues to be one of my closest friends. We had a falling out some years back in relation to something where I was more prideful and egotistical in terms of where I was at and didn't really understand the things that we're going through at that time. But... uh, We've been able to sort of mend a few um, bridges and things along the way, and I'm so grateful to have Nick as our very first Australian Special Air Service Operator on this podcast. We're going to delve into his insights. Um, He's a wonderful man, a good man, a husband and father, uh, a business owner, uh, entrepreneur in in many aspects in that as well. So we're looking forward to diving into that. But um, more important than that, he's just a genuine good bloke. And so uh, we're looking forward to spending some time with you, Nick. Thank you very much for your time, brother. Great to see you.
1: All oh, right. Thanks, Joe.
0: Thanks, Joe. It was really good to be talking to you too. Yeah, awesome. Um, mate, we, we're going to dive straight in in terms of, because uh, we're going to put a whole bunch of links to to where people can find you and connect with you at the Mill Gym and, and those sorts of things. But really interested to give our audience, so we've had a bunch of uh, people that are either uh, current or former police, uh, current or former defence force and or civvies, uh, civilians that have contacted us, been really pleased with the content or been really positive anyway about the messages that they've heard, the experiences that people like yourself have been able to share. And uh, a lot of their comments and questions have revolved around, you know, selection and cycle. And it hasn't been sort of, I guess, the typical questions that we might usually get from civilians that are probably not the sort of things that we're tapping into in in this sort of podcast. But um, so we're going to start there. And I guess where I would like to lead, and Brian's going to jump in as we Mm. go, what I'd love to do, Nick, if it's all right with you, would you be able to just share with us, uh, take as much time as you like or as little time as you like because we've got a whole bunch of other questions. What was selection like for you? Can you paint a picture for what it was like for
1: you? Um, I, I look back on selection and I see it as one of those pivotal times in my life, obviously. You, know, you, you understand how this is. You, you spend a lot of time thinking about becoming an operator. Mm. You spend a lot of time dreaming about what it would be like um, doing the actual job, living the stories that you've read about, that you've studied, that you've looked at, the movies you've watched, all those sorts of things as a kid. So being at the start line for selection for me, especially being with you and the other guys who are much my best mates ever, and doing that with my patrol was one of the best, was, was definitely a, it was a pivotal time in my life. And I looked at selection as a, effectively a stepping stone to get to where I wanted to go. Yes, it was going to be hard. Yes, and, but we all we were all well and truly au um, okay with what selection was going to entail, because you you've been through a process as well as mostly guys that were in our patrol, they are all commandos, so they had all done we had all done selection of a sort commando selection to get to where we were, so we had a real world understanding of what selection would entail, so we're by no means um, no means uh, ignorant to what was ahead at the same time I was so excited I just I just didn't want to be anywhere else on the planet and that was day one obviously <laughs> but but it really didn't change you know, you know the next 21 days really didn't change so I, I, effectively I loved it I hated it but I loved it and there was no point there where I thought um maybe this is the wrong decision maybe I, I won't be able to make it because I I so much invested in you know my future in that unit that there was no other option for me, and I think the same for anyone else, yourself included, who did that, that that whatever you needed to get you through, whatever got you, to, got you to the start line in the first place, I mean, it's a big undertaking to actually get there in the first place, mm. and then let alone finish. Um, you just had to find what it was that kept you, kept the dream alive, and for me, it was just that, that literally, I'm going to be living the dream, my boyhood dream. Awesome.
0: Awesome, man, that's great. That's a, You've summarized that really well, and that's gonna lead into a few things, like other questions that I didn't even have written down just based on your answer. So you talked about books and study and things that you were looking at into. Did you do a lot of reading in, in relation to um, SAS books? Probably, I think at that time when we were going through, there was probably more around 22 guys that had, that had books out at that time. Is that the sort of stuff that you were looking at?
1: Yeah, I mean, everything from um, Rhodesia you know, the Rhodesian SAS all the way through to 22. Um, Even going, uh, looking at guys like Chris Ryan and Andy McNabb, well, that was Mm -hmm. in de jure, but, you know, their their stories, whether they be fictional or non-fiction, were, I just ate it up. You know, you look at my bookshelf, I've still got (laughs) tonnes of books of that whole era of X-22 guys post-first Iraq war or Desert Storm. Mm. And the stories, I just ate it all up. And then, obviously, Fuel to the Fire was the Iranian... And we see all the information about that that was coming out. It was, it was, there was still bits and pieces coming out. There wasn't a lot, but there was enough to keep the fire stoked. There was enough to keep me interested in saying this is, this is absolutely what
2: I wanted to do. Awesome. Can, can I ask, um, Nick, so you talk about like, like the Iranian stuff and the 22 SAS and, and all the stuff that the English were doing, but could you see that, that, that link with, with Australia and the, Australian and the regiment in Australia and that's, was, was that your, your fuel to go, oh, I want to be, or, or do you want to go like 22?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm. I don't know. I'm, I'm too patriotic. Even if even though British <laughs> are very much more to us, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still too patriotic. I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't know how it worked. You know how it worked mm. in the T1 um, community and how you basically gained your street cred or earned your place to go front line. Mm. Even if you did wear the cap, you did wear the badge. So I was ignorant to that. All I wanted to do was just go and do what I'd read about. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it was as a you know the British Army, the Australian Army, obviously if 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 uh, I mean there's guys that we know in our cohort that had a crack at the US and the UK um, branches, mm. and for us. And for me, it was like, yeah, we've got it pretty good here. Like, we still get, you know, conditions for us, pay-wise, everything else is pretty good. We've probably got the worst base in the world. When you looked at Campbell Barracks back then, you know, <laughs> my, my, my old man came for our barrow parade. And he goes, oh, is this, where's, where's your office? I said, <laughs> <laughs> there's holes in the roof and there's gutters are falling apart and there's <laughs> potholes in the road. And yeah, this is this is the SS. Camp. I said, "Yeah, no, this is the SAS camp. You know, we weren't too fussed." About <laughs> That's that. cool, mate. Yeah, now, now it's changed. okay. The group, Kiwi guys, that uh, heard stories about how good it was compared to how we had. I'm going, does that work?" Never works. <laughs> but now, now we've caught up to you guys. So, so, you look at the base now; it's world class. It is literally, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, high tech, high speed. Probably what you envisage a Tier One unit should be housed in. Mm-hmm. It, it, it fits, fits the bill absolutely. Yeah awesome awesome
0: bro thanks for that and that clarification and stuff as well I love the points and I want to ask you this question what were some of the most memorable parts of selection for you what stuck out for you Mm. whether it was good or bad because it is that love-hate relationship what were some of the the memorable stuff maybe positive or even maybe not so positive is there anything that stands out for you in your mind um, during that process Um, yeah actually one thing comes
1: more straight away I I didn't have to think about it it just comes straight up yeah. Um, you know, you get allocated responsibilities for this section throughout the throughout, – especially through Lucky Dip. So we're in Lucky yeah. Dip. You're in my section. And uh, and i got to allocate a section commander's position. So obviously you've got to navigate from point A to point B. We've got to get there in a certain amount of time. I was trying to work out in my head how much time is about right. Now, I think I had it worked out. So the time I had the position for section commander, I said, okay, we've probably got this amount of time to cover this amount of distance. I want the best guy the and we're just going to hang on. I knew as soon as I put you in front, Joe was out front, we had to basically run to keep up with him. <laughs> so I, was literally, <laughs> I was trying to look, make it look to the instructors that it was all under control. Like I had this, like, <laughs> like, I knew we were going to go this fast. No worries, like no pressure at all. So literally they're going, they're looking at me going, looking at their watches, looking at me going, we're way ahead of time here. But so I basically pulled the brakes on and made a stop and we actually sat down and had a nice cup of coffee, a nice cup of tea. Sat down in the sun, enjoyed the shade, you know, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and then so, uh, you guys to get going. I said, oh, yeah, I think I've got another half hour because we were so far ahead. Because Joe just went, I know where we're going, and took off. <laughs> was like, okay, you hang on, because we got to keep up. <laughs> <But> that that <laughs> was, yeah, that was the point where, and I, and I think by that stage, you know, we've been, we, we, all of us were pretty comfortable with, with, um, well, I, I, I can speak for myself, like, we got to a certain point, it was easily in a second or the last third of the course where you actually grow into the space. You actually realize mm-hmm. that, oh, we get, I get the game plan here. I get, I get the rules of this game. And by that stage, we're all pretty comfortable that you actually get more and more confident, even though you're getting physically you know, uh, weaker because that's the process. Yes. You're actually getting more confidence because you're, you're, oh, I get the game. I get that there's timing's here. I get that this pattern's set here. All you need to do is leverage those patterns and, 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 and read mm-hmm. the rules of the game, and we'll, we'll be okay. So, I mean, that, that was one of those points where I said, okay, I want the best team navigating. <laughs> Not necessarily the fastest team, but it turned out to be the fastest team, but we definitely got to our checkpoint in well ahead of time. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember most. And I, and you, you did remind me in an email about um, yeah. um, the, the water crossing.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: I, you know, I thought nothing of that. You know, it was just mm. like, yeah, it wasn't it – was, we are all getting across together. That's the whole mindset, you know, and – and uh, that, that I only remember that because you said it, but it yeah, wasn't one of those things that stood out in my head in terms of because there's so many points there where I, I felt I was struggling and then you would pick something up heavier and then I'd go, okay, maybe I can still go here, still keep going. And we fed off each other. You know, It's yeah. just the way of selection, not yeah. only selection, but the Rio cycle. That's how it all worked. Oh, yeah,
0: that's beautiful, man. I love the way you shared that. And, and particularly, uh, uh, you made me laugh. I was just thinking that's probably – one of the few times that I, that I may have known where I was going.
1: Well, <laughs> or pretending. pretending of naked. Naked. You did it really well. So. <laughs> you didn't the right spot, so it was good.
2: So, but, Nick, did he go, oh, follow me, boys? And then he went straight ran after him? Is that... No, I just went, okay, Joe, you ready?
0: <laughs> okay, I guess we're going,
2: guys, let's go. <laughs> <I,
0: laughs> I love the uh, that part. You know, when I when I spoke with you, I remember that river crossing really well because when we were you know getting our gear up, having the pack, and then wrapping it up in the hoochie, tying the ends, putting it together, and then creating that flotation for us to get across. My one. And and I I don't know if it was the Australian hoochie that they gave me or what. <laughs> but, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> but it filled with water and it was it's starting to sink. Yeah, it was starting to sink. <laughs> so maybe it was that, but I what I really remembered about that was you were right there beside me. And I love the way you spoke about that. We fed off each other, we were there mm-hmm. for each other, we were crossing that river together. And um, yeah, mine was going down, but you stayed you stayed with me and helped me yeah. get across that. And you because you got the DS in the boat, right? They're like you want to get in the boat? Head <laughs> you? Yeah. you ready to quit? I'm You're trying sorry. to get your finger, but you don't yeah.
1: care.
0: <laughs> and I'm thinking all sorts of stuff in my head, which I can't verbalize to them because they probably just push my head down under the water. But um, yeah, it was such uh, it was so great having you beside me. And one of the things that also that I remember, this was during Lucky Dip. Brian. So mm. when we're on there Nick and I were, were in the same group for for the pretty much the majority of selection. I got some other questions for you as well then Nick. But there was a part there where we were sitting around this campfire and I don't I don't know what they'd thrown in that pot for us at that time. But we're getting to eat whatever scraps it was. And I could feel, well, there's conversation around there. They're asking, oh, is there a dance, The dance that you do in New Zealand? They're, they're pretending to have these accents and broken English and talking pigeon and all that sort of stuff. And they're like, yeah, is there this dance? I'm like, yes, yes. And like, oh, Yo, you will do it for us. And Nick, out of nowhere, I had no idea, uh, he said, oh, would you like us? He put up his hand and he's like, oh, would you like us to, you know, support in the background? And the staff said, yes. So then these other guys, Nick's just dropped the rest of our team into the haka with the rest of us. I'm at the front. We just did Kamate. But man, just to just to know that. Nick and the rest of the people in our patrol at that time, I don't remember everybody, but I certainly remember Nick had my back or had each other's mm. back, had my back in that instance. Yeah. It was one of the very, uh, a really great memory we, had, memory. we had no idea. We had no idea what yeah, that was. Yeah. We, knew, we knew that we had to be
1: loud and we had to try yeah. and mirror as closely as what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if you'd look behind you, you would have seen like interpret interpretive dance. Yeah. It was just arms and legs going everywhere and tongues and tongues. And t- <laughs> and t-
0: yeah. I wonder if they. Man, I don't know if they did. Well, probably didn't have smartphones then. But I wonder if there was some sort of recording of that. But that was uh, yeah, that was a hilarious. good time. It was yeah. a great memory. Uh, would have got a lot
2: of hits, I'm sure, Joe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would have got a lot of hits. All right, a lot of can sort been thrown my way, um, bro. Thanks for talking about those. Nick, really, really great. And it's just, it's these things here. For me, anyway, to be able to have this band to this laugh and trigger memories that that just um, is another reason why you have you why you hold such a strong place in my heart and mind, one of the things I was sharing with Brian off camera was that my first recollection of meeting you, I was sitting in the mess by myself at a table, and I don't know if you remember this, but you came up to me, you left your guys, you came up to me, introduced yourself, and asked me, invited me to come over to sit with you guys at the table, and that, that to me, man. I've never forgotten that it was such a yeah, really powerful moment for me because I'm brand new, I don't know anybody there. And then you welcomed me over, you didn't know who I was, brought me over, sat me down at the table. And um yeah, and then I started to meet Woodsy and, and a few other boys at that table and yeah, yeah. uh became yeah. friends with you guys. So Really yes. appreciate that, man. That was uh, that was me going
1: through Lucky Dead because you might to tw- turned out to be a moron. I don't
2: know. Actually, you know what?
0: I think I think based on what I've heard in the other podcasts, which we're going to have the links to, I think that was part of your planning and preparation. I'll suss out this guy. See he's like.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if he's a moron, no, yeah. Just, it's just, just, it's just like weird. pick <laughs> biggest guy and make friends with him. That's what it was. Okay, Sam. We've all been you guys in the change as well, like it's not our first time being new, new to a space. Mm. It's one of those things like, you know, it, it, it's, it's the same thing about talking our, about our previous experiences. It's like, yeah. well, everyone's been through the same thing, or to a certain degree. Well, yeah. why do we have to repeat history? Why don't we just go say hello to the new people? But mm. then it's very, is the culture there was a little bit different in terms of being standoffish because everyone's, I think everyone's trying to protect their reputation, whereas I didn't, know, didn't have one in the first place, so fair enough. I was just want to, if anyone looks like they, they're part of our team, especially because you come to our platoon, yeah. well, why don't we kick it off straight away and say, like, yeah. why uh,
2: That's a, actually an interesting point, Nick. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess some some may see as you know part of the whole process being a, um, this is me, dog-eat-dog dog type of situation, but the, mm-hmm. the way you're describing it is not that. It sounds like it, it it's no, who who can we embrace to support us and we're all we're all in this together. Would that be fair?
1: Uh yeah, I mean to me it's it's um on the on very much the one team sort mm. of you know, like we all did selection. We're all picked to be there. We've all picked on our traits and characteristics, you know. I've never met a not good bloke there. Mm. You know, I've never met someone who's who didn't I didn't who to at least to the majority's perspective, didn't deserve to be there. Mm. So, um, I, like, I and I like to give the benefit of the doubt. Like, at the end of the day, that's it might be um, might be idealistic, but it hasn't it hasn't really come back at me in any way. It's in fact, it's helped me build relationships, if anything. Mm. But giving people the benefit of the doubt is is critical because, well, yes, we have all past election. And why can't I give them the benefit of the doubt well, this, person, this person's worthy to go up, go up and say hello to him and welcome And If it doesn't work yeah. out, it doesn't work out. No harm, no foul. But mm-hmm. at the same time, yeah, you might as well kick it off on a good foot and make the best impression you can early um, because that's really, I think, that's what I thought we were selected for, you know, our ability to work in amongst people who don't necessarily speak the same language as us mm-hmm. in different cultures on the other side of the world whose values are... Essentially, human values are essentially similar, but their society is completely different. We've got to make things happen. That's why. I, that's why I thought. Well, that's why I thought we were what, we've, what we were selected for. So why don't we start that process in our own backyard?
3: Man, wow! Awesome.
2: that's powerful.
0: It is, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's a great insight, man. I, I love that, and and I actually. I thought you were a Kiwi when I first met you. And
2: until you
1: Greek. <laughs> you not yeah.
0: huh? <laughs> Well, yeah. I thought uh, you were yeah. a Kiwi until you spoke, and I was like, hang on. Unless he's been born and raised over here, unless his parents are Kiwi, but he's been born and raised here. I, yeah, but that was, yeah. that was one of the things that went through my mind. Um, my mum's an Islander. Your mum is an Islander. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And because your mum and dad were at the Barry Parade, eh? They were, yeah. I'm pretty sure the picture that I've got has got your mum sitting in in the shot. Uh, Right. It's it's as I'm grabbing mine um, at that time when they're coming up, whoever took the photos and when we ended up getting them, but I'm pretty sure it's your mum. I'll show you it after. Yeah, yeah, cool. Hey, what – in your experience, so we're going to look into – so some of the questions that we've got, there's a guy by the name of Chris Webber. There's a few other people, but I'll I'll shout out Chris Webber um, in terms of his support and what he's been doing. He's been – Really enjoying Kiwi fella down in Wellington. Been really enjoying the information being shared, and he sent through a few questions, and I've sort of just packaged them or, or done up a few of them um, to maybe suit. And so, in here, one of the questions that he's sort of asking is, and I've reframed it. So, in your experience, Nick, what are what are the sorts of qualities and candidates that stand out, both positive and or maybe not so positive? What what are those qualities that stand out to you, or that have stud, stood out to you? in terms of those that continue to carry on and make their way through? Yeah, I guess, um,
1: well, it, it, that, my, that view, that my, my understanding of this has evolved over time, obviously. So, mm. I mean, doing selection, doing, doing a selection each before we did actually the carter course, Yeah. and then uh, helping out back on the carter course uh, after becoming an operator. And then obviously, as we, you know, this is now 18 years later, 19 years later since selection, and, yeah, you know, two of the guys, two of our partners are still working in the unit. Mm. And when you look at their traits and characteristics, yeah, that that to me is, okay, of, if, I, if, if I was to shape and model or try to mentor someone towards um, what these characteristics are, big one's humility. You know? Obviously, mm. there's that thing where you've got to have that grit and you've got to have that, um, that resilience to see out a 21-day course and the subsequent 18 months or so after that. Yep. And then uh, potentially getting asked to do the job as we were asked to do the job uh, in, in full scale war, effectively.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you look back at that, you go, know, you know, th- those, it's humility is a big player here because what humility does is it's, it allows you the brain, the bandwidth to look at yourself, do a bit of self reflection, assess, okay, where am I doing well, where am I doing poorly, and how can I do better? And that, you know, that gut check or that objective check, the more you do it, the more objective it gets. And you just surround yourself with people who think that way as well, then the more more rigorous and more robust that analysis is. So you got individuals who will not stop trying to get better. Now, even though they're not in the unit anymore, they're not don't have to be war fighters anymore, they're still trying to get better as dads, as brothers, as sons, as as mates, as business partners, wherever it is. So and it all starts with humility, you know, ego. He goes, that one of those things that, that will destroy most operators. You know, it's, it's one of those things that um, is it's, it's yep. it's the issue, but yep. the counter to that is humility. Humility, and you, that you, you, if you pass the bar, you, you get to, you know, you get, you get to wear, your beret and you, your team's worthy enough to you know, do the job for your country. But what will keep you there and keep you evolving is your ability to have a good look at yourself, not think you're there yet, you know, realise that you're still chasing something. But then keeping that in check without quietly having a bit of confidence about yourself mm-hmm. and being able to say, okay, I'm not there yet, and but I believe I can do anything. I've just yes. got to, you know, find a way. There is a process for everything. I'm not the first person to do this. I've just got to find a way. So, you know, I'd say humility. Having a sense of humour is also pretty important. You know, you know, in our space, it's really, really important to be able to see the light side, especially when things get really serious and, you know, situation consequences are quite high. So, yeah, that, that's a big aspect and and... Oh, even, even just, you know, people, people say to me, oh, but how do you develop a sense of humour? Well, you know, just follow <laughs> Will Ferrell for one thing. You, know, you, can, you can steal someone else's stuff, you, know? you are stealing someone else's stuff and it's in the time where everyone's just peaking where everyone's just really stressed out. People who are able to oh, yeah, I saw that movie or whatever. It doesn't have to be your own stuff. You just be able to just have a, like 10 jokes or 10 one-liners or something that you refer to all the time. And <laughs> sooner or later you become that person because you're practising that over and over again. But you sense humour is really important, humility is really important, and just that drive, like that drive to, to not stop, not settle, not think that uh, we've, we've we've reached the top. Yeah, fair enough, we wear the beret, but there's a the next guy It might be being the TIC or... Or being a better breacher, or being a better medic, or it might be being a PC. You know, it might be, it might be whatever. And then after that, it might be being a better dad. You know, just have have something that's going to continue to drive you. And all these guys, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of them have got a drive. They've got a, they've got a ten year plan. They've got something else that they're aiming for after this, whatever this is.
2: Yeah, wow. awesome. Joe, that reminds me. We need to get Will Ferrell on on the yeah. podcast. Yeah, you need <laughs> to get Will Ferrell on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just that made a, the, night, a special forces operator, yeah. That's what they said. Well,
0: there is that saying, you think it, you speak it, you act, it, 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 it happens. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, right? let's, like let's see how we go. Yeah, we've thought it, it's been spoken. <laughs> Brian, you're tasked with action. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yep,
2: yeah. uh, it's done. I'll, I'll reach out to Woolfair.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm just going to mention here your camera keeps dropping out, bro, Nick. Um it just says cameras disabled due to slow internet connection video is still <laughs> oh. recorded so we can still hear you we're, we're just going to carry on if that's all right with you you can still yeah. hear us eh? yeah i can absolutely yeah i'll uh, i'll fix my uh i'll switch my networks sweet all right cool we'll let you do that and but i'll ask you a question as we go while you're doing it <laughs> <laughs> hey um as you know on our selection bro they they handed us yeah. out a piece of paper and and it was our opportunity to fill it out. Do you remember that? Uh, if we wanted to withdraw from the selection. And it was early on in the piece. Yeah. My question is, did you ever reach a point or a moment where you thought about signing that piece of paper? No. Yeah, well, so. No. What did you do with yours when you got it? I think I might Tell have registered.
1: you this. It, it didn't register with me. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what I did with it. Like, oh, it wasn't, I even in my, wasn't even in my consciousness to, to say... Yeah. I'm out like uh, I've I've been thinking about this every single minute of every day for probably ten years up to that point. Yeah. So it was it was uh, I was so convinced that this is where I this is where I was meant to be that there was no um, no entertainment. You know I I I, I and I can say it hand in my heart like. I, that that whole experience for me we, we I mean going through the commando courses actually helps temper you as well like helps uh, forge your resilience and helps forge your yeah I bet you want to be there because there's other courses that are in the army holds that are that are hard courses probably not necessarily as hard as a Carter course because it's so long effectively um, yep. but there's other ways to make you you know gut check yourself to 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 make you more ardent that you are going to continue on this thing that you had planned to do or, or check yourself out so I, I don't remember that paper but
3: yeah
1: it was probably I didn't want it to register in my consciousness <laughs> later, but,
3: <yeah.
0: laughs> I'm pretty sure I and that's interesting because everybody or well, the guys that I've spoken to anyway not just during the podcast but whilst we're in like yourself now here and now and that's what I was saying I'm pretty sure I've asked you this before um I think that piece of paper, because they told us to keep it in our pocket or whatever, you fill it out, whatever. I remember when I got mine and I read what it was because I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I waited till the staff went looking and I ripped it up and threw it away so that there was no. And I'm pretty sure guys like you and other guys that we had did similar things or we screwed it up and just ditched it. Um, yeah. It was good because it left us no option
1: then. But yeah, yeah. it's like you burn the boats. You know, you don't yeah. have a way to get back home. You got to go forward, and that's, that's it. That. You, know? so you give yourself <laughs> no other option, and that's one way of doing it. Just with that paper up. Yeah, well,
2: that, that's actually quite fascinating because when you think about like again, my reality is based on um, YouTube. Movies, yeah, Hollywood. All right, and you look at the, say the, the seals, and I think they have a, a tradition of ringing the bell to quit or something similar. I mean, the option is there, but you have no option. There is only one way to go forward. It's like, man, but to get to that point where you, where there is no option, so why? What? Why does that keep driving you? I mean, you could hide the paper. I mean, you could. I mean, you and Joe just talked about that, but it's just. What what's up here that makes you go, well stuff that I don't want that. Boom, go forward.
1: Well, well I think some things don't deserve negotiation. I think that, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't yeah. Give a, you don't give it a look At, it. at the end of the day, there's, there's, um, I mean, I, I look back and go, so say so this is the truth for me. Like this is where mm. I there's no other there's no there's no variation on this. It's either forward or or no nowhere else. Mm. Yeah. But I, also I also know that we were lucky because we came from a unit that was. At the base here at the precipice of going, you know, you know, going to going to out, out of this orbit, you know, and and the commando regiment has well and truly earned its right to be called a, a special forces unit. So we would very much have to just go back to that that space, and I've still got some of my best mates are still in that unit, you know, all have left, and still as Civi's still my best mates. Mm. And you look at that, and you go, okay, there's a good option to go back to, but I, I've literally got to burn the boats here. I've literally got to give myself no other option because. Not that I think I'll do it, but it actually reinforces what I said I would do. And if you do what you say you'll do it to yourself and you and you, when no one knows where you said it, that's probably more powerful than telling someone that you're gonna do something and then they know that you've done what you said you would do, if that makes sense. It does. So, it does. yeah, just trust yourself that you're not gonna you're not gonna pull off that and and you if if you had the option maybe you take it, maybe you wouldn't, but it's no long, no longer an option. It's not even on the radar. Mm. Awesome. Awesome, man. Beautifully put. Hey, what what
0: mentals tools did you use, if any? Obviously, the driver's there. It's easy to see the integrity behind the decision that you've made, burning the boats and the bridges, so to speak, in terms of there's no way back. You're just powering forward and continuing on. Were there were there any other things that came to mind? The reason that I ask you this, bro, is because I know that you're, well, you're obviously very intelligent, and, and I'm going to talk a bit about that with the planning and stuff that you've done, business, investing, all that sort of thing but I didn't have any mental strategies. I was just, <laughs> I just went, went straight in. I'm here, I'm doing this. If I get kicked off, I'm going to go away, try and get better, and I'm going to come back and do it again. That was as far as my mental strategy went. Did you have, did you have some tools or, or things like that that you used to help you navigate your way through the selection? Um, well, I
1: think one, one of the things was, I had a, had a saying that was always in my head, yeah. yeah, it didn't really. I wasn't really conscious that I was going to use it until I started using it on, gotcha. on Happy Wanderer. It was that I'm still alive. That's it. It's a song by POD It's an it's a American band which I don't think they've got one song. I don't know. I don't know about the rest of the album. I heard this song. Oh, it says I'm still alive. So if I'm conscious, so i have still got two arms and two legs. I can still walk, put one foot in front of the other, and I can still mm. think. I'm still going. And mm. and this isn't anywhere near survival for me. So if that's the case, I'm, I might as well keep going. Awesome. And the dream was still you know, etched into my head as a 10-year-old that I was going to become a commander or something like that. And all I'm doing is continuing what, I, you know, what I'd grown in my brain to do. But it was interesting that you would say that too because you're, it becomes part of your DNA just to think this way. Mm. You know, it's something that you may have to train yourself to do it, but if you say that you, hadn't, you didn't have to go through any mental process yourself, it's because it's already part of your DNA. At some point, some time in your life whether you were considering joining the Army or not, you actually have these thoughts that will keep you driving forward. Mm-hmm. And that, that's it. It's, you, you, sometimes it's nurture, sometimes it's nature. But whatever it is, um, it's, it's a process that doesn't happen overnight because, you know, you can, make a, you can make a flexion point during selection where it's just the hardest you thought it would be and you just make a rash decision one that point to pull off. Yeah. And in that split second, you made that decision, can't go back because the DS got you a bit of paper and you're, you're gone uh, yeah, you, yeah. So you, you, don't want, you don't want to ever to have that option or to have, have that chance come across your table you've got to actually condition your mind to give yourself an option then to go forward and you had That's that in your head but that was part of, part of your DNA that you fostered, whether it's part of your nature or, or you've nurtured it, I don't know but mm. at the same time yeah. past selection, it's very much the same, I thought about it or I didn't it yeah. doesn't matter, They got through it so
0: it's a, it's part of your DNA, effectively. Awesome, awesome man. Love that. Hey, I um, still got a couple more on the on the selection. I hope that's all right. You just let us know if this needs oh, to absolutely. end or if you need to go somewhere. We would be oh, happy to reconnect. Oh, but yeah, bro, can you remember? So with regards to your training, were there specific elements? So for me, just to try to give a bit more context, I all I'd heard about was the three point two. You know, there's the 3.2 that you got to that you got to do and all that sort of stuff. So for me, I probably didn't give it as much attention as I should have because I naively thought, well, I can run a 2.4 and eight minutes fifteen, eight minutes thirty thereabouts. But that was you know shorts and t-shirt, not with the yeah. full DPM and webbing and rifle and that sort of stuff. So I I probably didn't train for it as well as I could. But was there any specific parts of the selection that you thought? you needed to prepare a little bit more on or, or that you spent a little bit more
1: time preparing for, for the selection? If I could go back again, I'd do more time with a pack on and more running. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember when we did our SBET <laughs> together, I, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I'm pretty sure that the time, past time, we met back then was 15 minutes 30 for the 3.2. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think, I think oh, I remember it being 16 minutes because I only came just under 16 minutes.
1: Yes, Is well, that- I was literally a split second behind you on that time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and was like, oh, man, I should have put my feet into this for anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we and we just made it because I remember, yeah, like, yeah, 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 I remember you talking. that. So yeah. man, I think you mentioned something about oh, if I could keep, if you were staying relatively in touch with me, then yeah. we were going to be good. And and yeah. I, I think I. Significantly
1: underestimated. Then. Yeah, well, i well, run it before. I had run it before, and I was I was very confident that I was under fifteen thirty every yeah. time. Right. Then you okay. add Maybe you it was. add the nervous energy, and then you add the um, the the actual occasion, the the energy burn from the occasion itself, mm. and the instructor pressure. And all that. You know, you're being watched all the time. and yeah, and uh, and then you, all the stuff that we did before the three point two as well. Yeah. So you're only prepped your teeth. So if you add thirty seconds on, you're actually not doing too badly. But you don't want to just get in by the skin of your teeth either. Yeah. Like so, but we're mate, we got through. You know, yeah, past yeah. The past. we got through. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you we're got through. <laughs> 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 yeah, we managed
2: to get each other through. Yeah, yeah, yeah that
0: that was a definite um, eye opener for me. And, and just on that barrier testing, I don't know if I shared this with you, but I. I didn't. I remember getting spoken to because that three-day barrier testing that we did. I got spoken to at the end. You know, when we finished up. My memory of it might be a bit hazy, but we were then spoken to about whether or not we could progress and do the SASR selection. And I, I had only, I hadn't done that well because what I've, what I realised after, because I sweat a lot anyway <laughs> when I'm training and stuff, but. I had lost that much. I didn't think of it in terms of electrolytes and and salts and all that sort of stuff that my body was losing. So on the navigation phases after the three point two and everything and the, all the other arduous stuff had been done, I cramped up massively out in the bush while we we're doing the navigation and I didn't uh, I think I did maybe just the bare minimum of the amount of navigational legs that I needed to complete to even be considered. and I remember getting pulled over to the side and spoken to and told in no uncertain terms that my um, the amount of distance that I had covered wasn't anywhere near what I should have covered because of where I had come from. And uh, But they said, but they were still going to let me go through to um, onto selection. So I was grateful for that. But it opened my eyes up to, for me, and why I asked you that question, 3.2 is tough for anybody, um, what I needed to work on. And I needed to make sure that I put salt in Pepper of my food, because I never did that. I came from here. I never added salt or anything. But those little things I started learning again. man, I'm in a different environment. I'm in a different stage here in a different country. Even the magnetic variation is different to what I've been doing back in NZ, so I need to make sure I get us to the right place. But that stuff, man. Did you have any um, other things that you specifically worked on? So you mentioned you would have worked on more pack marching and more running. What did you sort of focus on? prior to selection for you?
1: Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've focused on everything. I think if you if – you, um, it's pretty hard to say i focused on everything, but I've tried to train everything in as, – as up to my knowledge of training at that time, I thought I was doing everything right. And, uh, you know, we were very lucky to get – we didn't have to go to work once we got back in team or we were allowed to, We were given the freedom to train, effectively. Mm. So we're getting paid – like, pay, we paid athletes to, you know, to prepare for this thing. So we're very, very fortunate. So, like, I look back and I go, okay, well, up to that point, based on the knowledge I had about training at the time, I'm confident that if I would failed selection, I couldn't do any better. That that was my thing in my head. That like, like this is it right now. If I don't get through now, there's not much point going again because I don't think I could ever get a better preparation. This maybe I'll get fitter. And the other thing is, I was training with. I can't say his name, but I was training yeah. with. We well, call him Zulu. Yeah. I was training with him, and he made me feel terrible about. It. <laughs> like, man, my glasses, like, he
0: made everybody feel <laughs> terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this guy, he, and to this day, is one of still one of the fierce guys we, we, you'll ever meet in your life. And back then, he was the he was the he was the benchmark in terms of all levels of fitness in every 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 domain of fitness. He he fit the bill completely to the point where he he they, he runs out of track, you know. They, they give him a time march, and they say, "Oh, no one will get this far." Makes you know, Tim rocks up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah That's yeah, <laughs> right. He's, there's, there's lots of. Him. Yeah, yeah so he, he's, he's. so I'm thinking. Okay, this guy. This is. This is the standard. I'm just going to chase him. I'm just going to try and keep up with him. Mm. But he, it's a. It's a creeping line. Like, you get to it, the further he gets away from you. So um, I, I was taking those hits to my ego on a daily basis, but at the same time I knew I was meeting the minimum requirements for what I knew about the barrier testing and what I knew from the guys who had actually done selection in our cohort that we are working with at Commandos. Yeah. Um, so I, I, was, I was still pretty confident to put my name down and, and give it a good crack. But at the same time, looking back on the knowledge, obviously it's 20 years later, knowing now, uh, passing on that information is absolutely critical for us mm. is, to, is to let these guys know that if our, if our we want to make the next generation better than we were, then we've got to pay this stuff forward, you know, you know, make sure you get your electrolytes, uh, make sure you account for the air temperature, make sure you do your distance with the pack, make sure you don't increase the loads too quickly otherwise you break yourself, mm. you know, all these sorts of things. But I think based on the knowledge we had, there was a bit of luck to get through.
3: Yeah.
1: We can, there's a bit of a science, you know, we can We can pretty much, um, pretty accurately predict if we've got someone who we think is going to get picked up. Um, so that's where it is for us at the moment. But back mm. then, I wish I'd known what we know now. But mm. so the best thing we can do is help those guys who are where we were, uh, who are now where we were 20 years ago, and awesome. girls. Awesome. Awesome.
2: Wow, that, that's actually... It's fascinating to hear that there's a science around. I mean, it makes sense when you're talking about it, again, you know, You're talking about kinesiology, the physiology, you're talking about sports science, you're talking about all those things. You're essentially a, a elite athlete type situation, as you describe what you had three weeks to, to prepare for that. But to hear you describe that, because um, I think some of the uh, earlier podcasts that we've, that you've had Joe um, and the people on there they talk about, "Oh, I've just put the pack on, hump up and down a mortar box, yeah, just to get the legs going or whatever. You know and it's like, "Oh, we just do it, but to the, he describe like that's actually quite fascinating because I'm thinking that um, if you need to be able to get to X, to be able to do X effectively in, in the most efficient way, you need to pay attention not into your body but your surroundings as well yeah the atm yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even consider that to, to to be honest from from my perspective so i i guess what I, what i'm getting at is, is is saying that if you were to yeah you know, go say go through selection again would you be pay a lot more attention to it or do you think that's something that it would just be you're already aware of because of where the army has evolved since 20 years ago or whatever it is well i think
1: it's where the army and where science has evolved since mm. 20 years ago when I mean, there, there's been there's been lots because these are effectively, these are brands. Like SAS is a brand and mm-hmm. it's a brand, it's an elite brand. Um, and so the mindset around that is that, well, there's there's incremental increases that we can make here because it's a, it's a basically the laws of diminishing returns where you're starting with a raw element, you'll make a lot of return from a little bit of effort. But mm-hmm. as you get to the higher levels, you're looking at minute returns almost mm-hmm you know, mm. insignificant returns based on a, a whole lot of effort. So there's been a lot more research done in that space to say, how can we incrementally get more out of what we're putting in here and get longer, longer life out of our soldiers as well once they get into the unit? So there's more information. You know, when we come through, yeah. Joe mentioned, we didn't have smartphones back then. We didn't have Google. Mm. We didn't have access to information in our fingertips. And mm. fair enough, a lot of information out there now is not accurate or don't, won't really help you. There is really good gold out there, which if you dig hard enough, you find it. Um, and it's usually coming from people who've been there, and it should be should be coming from people who've been there, backed by the science of the studies done on those people who've been there. And we've been very lucky that, that a lot of these T1 units have gone through that process. They got all these got all these really smart people from universities all over the world, and they analysed operators every aspect of what they do, pre-service, pre-selection. As an operator, and then post selection as well. Now, so um, we've got to leverage that info. And mm. when you look at it now, it's it's a it's definitely a, it's, it's a process. You know, it's no longer something where we're just going to stick our finger in the wind and we just <laughs> see where the wind goes. You know, so you now it's like okay, there's all these factors here, um, and we can calculate. We can we can make an assumption on a few certain things because there's already evidence of it. There's already a, a, a there's already been a, a, a study case to use. Mm. And then you combine it with the science and, you know, we can yeah, – now it's – it's um, the, the, the X factor is the resilience piece. Mm. The X factor is mm. the part where you you burn the boats and you and you find what's within you to keep going regardless of whether you think you're going to pass or not. That's one of those things that it's got to be – whether it's nurture nature, like I said before, it's got to be an element of effort put into – defining as much of that as possible and, and we're trying we're, we're literally trying to find a way to manage that find a metric around it so we can manage it yeah. but it's, it's still a it's still a shifting you know it's, uh, it's like a you know it's trying to punch smoke you know what i mean it's just <laughs> very very it's elusive but <laughs> once we get our finger on it then that'll be that'll crack the egg for a lot of not not just the military the society in general mm. but going back to selection you yeah, it's a process now if you can understand what the, essentially the selection process is really well honed and really well defined mm. and because it's really well defined you can define processes around those goals and goals that have been defined yeah. and there's now a track record to state that we'll get this outcome if we do this work we'll get it optimally if we do this other work and, and uh, we're, that's our goal, that's our job for the last 10 years is to basically design that to the point where it's as good as we can get it at the moment Awesome,
0: awesome man and that's the stuff that, um, man, really well put. There's a there's a, a whole bunch to unpack in what you've just mentioned there. Nick, but I want to jump and skip to a couple of things that you mentioned in there. And I wonder if you would be okay speaking about um, that sort of what you guys are doing now, right? Just with one aspect. So obviously there's the gym. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the mill gym a little bit more in terms of what you guys specifically do, not how it was founded and all that sort of stuff, but more focusing on what you guys do now and the evolution of it and what you guys are doing. But it sounds like, is that part of what your package is providing at the mill, right? That science, or backed with some science approach with actual operators or former serving operators that have been there, Helping a cohort of people that come through that have a desire to whether that's to go to TRG or whether that's to go to the unit or whatever is that what you guys are doing at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's where, the way it's gravitated. I guess yeah. we had it, you know, even when, when we were working together, we had it loosely in our head that that's what we would be doing eventually, somehow, in some description, some form. Yeah, um, but we've because it's been because we this is our background and we're still guys are still operating at the moment who own this joint. So the, the feed the live feed of information coming back in terms of how preparation needs to be shaped for people who don't know where to start effectively yep. we've got a live feed on that and um, uh, we shift as they as that shifts and we learn as as the new information comes out and we've got a test we've got lab rats here which basically basically <laughs> they they kick it into action straight away and they give us feedback straight away like it's um not just our coaches like our coaches here are uh, they've all got a goal. Like we've just lost one to TRG. We've just lost another two SAS. We've lost. We've lost one to being he's a doctor. We lost one two years ago to being a doctor. So <laughs> we're getting these. We've got people in our organisation who've got this. It's not just about the training. It's about mm. what the training opens. What doors that training opens for us. Yep. Uh, in terms of developing our mentality as well. So we get, we're getting these these feeds from from different. Um, Trades, professions, crafts, whatever it is that they're doing, but when you look at it, when you boil it down to it, you're still at you know high functioning um, elite level. I don't necessarily like the word elite, but high functioning individuals who are big contributors in whatever space they go into, they all think very similarly. Mm-hmm. So now, if we create a space where everyone's surrounded by those sorts of people, whether you're going for SAS, TRG, or you want to become a doctor or whatever, or you want to be the best housewife or house dad you want to, ever in the world, well. We've got a culture now that we, we, we've been fighting hard to try and foster. Uh, and just so happens, we have like we have a, so far 100% strike rate on all the people who have done selection, who have done our complete process, every element of our process, have been picked up for further training, for TRG, SAs. That's
2: awesome, man.
1: Yeah, so it's been good. That's huge. That's huge.
2: You know what? Um, it's, it's fascinating you describe it because you tie that back to what you said earlier. Yeah, the rules of the game, understand the rules of the game, leverage the patterns, there's a process. Rather than just thinking, oh, yep, I'm, I'm going to rock up and do this, you know, or, or whatever, because that, that might be my mentality if I was to try it. Oh, I probably wouldn't get far. I'll probably be signing that paper as soon as I joined, you know, if I Absolutely did way. that. But, uh, you know, if you understand the rules of the game, we understand the pattern, and this is going to be useful, for, I guess, for those, I can see that being useful for those in the future. Because yeah. if they understand it, because I, I imagine you as a 10-year-old, and as Joe is a fourteen-year-old, go oh the SAS, wow this is so cool the stories that go with it, but understand the game and the process behind it will will help you continue to to go forward. Uh, I find that actually fascinating. I knew, I never even thought about that before. That's so cool. I like the way you put that. Yeah. I told you oh, he was yeah. clever. Yeah, <laughs>
1: scholar, <laughs> scholar. He's
2: <laughs> gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. start losing
1: credibility <laughs> for the show. <laughs> Uh, but, but that's it. Like it's like it's like. Uh, I mean, there's there's every industry has its own language. Every industry mm-hmm. has its own um, progression. And uh, and, and if you want to work in the industry, you have to follow the progression effectively. And yeah. there's been outliers who skip, you know, who skip some steps. And yeah. there's there's some freaks out there. We've worked with some freaks as well. And, and you know, at the end of the day, you're uh, you've got to humble yourself to the to the pattern to the to the program. If you are if you if you don't. By the rules of the game, whether they be the you know the rules of the jungle or the rules of life or the rules of society or relationships or all that sort of stuff, then you won't mm. you won't thrive, you won't you won't succeed in those environments. So if we we try to make it civil, mm. um, uh, it's just understand okay, this is going to happen. This is more than likely what's going to happen next. After that, you'll we'll probably do this. Like That's at a very, very simplest form because mm. the, the selection process is really well documented at the moment. Yeah. There has been there are some variations year to year and still to this day there are variations, but yeah. there's only a few ways you can select certain characteristics about people mm. and you can, so you can't vary that too often. Mm. But, um, but then um, the way they're doing it now is becoming to the point where you don't really have to drive these guys and girls into the ground mm-hmm. to get it. But we still want to test the X factor. We still want to test whether they can, we are resilient enough to see this this chaos and this adversity through to the end of this twenty one days. So for that reason, we have to you have to, you have to smash or well not smash, but intelligently yep. um, put pressure on uh, the candidates to yeah. to try and elicit this X factor, this this grittiness. That's mm.
0: awesome, man. And and that's such a good point that you've spoken about because that's the stuff. Sounds like. Of what you guys are doing, particularly with the with the success rate, the hundred percent strike rate and strike mm-hmm. rate so far. But I love how you've talked about you've you've identified this process, and as Brian's talked about linking that back and being able to humble yourself to that process and go through that. It's cool that they're developing and gaining these tools to go. Okay, well, this is this is likely what's going to happen next. And that may not happen, but through that process and by them being in your guys' environment with what you provide there, they they develop enough resilience to be able to adapt or adaptability to be able to adapt to that process. So when you're saying it does vary a little bit from selection to selection, they've, they know they've got that in reserve because of the sound, by the sounds of things, of what you guys put them through there. Would that be right in terms of some of the stuff that's happening with you guys, Nick? Yeah, because the main thing is culture. Like they're, they're, they're all
1: intelligent people. I would argue that the soldiers today are smarter than we were. You know, They, they got far more information at their fingertips. So by the time they get there, at least they're more informed about selection than we ever were yeah. back then. But they also, they've also got a wider general knowledge because information's coming out of them every day, twenty four hours a day, yeah. through all, all different media sources. So, and then we've got a whole bunch of uh, like a, a fair, fairly large cohort who are already established in their previous careers and decide they want to go ninety degrees and join the army and become an SAS operator. <laughs> so you've got pilots, you've got doctors, you've got. Yeah scientists, you've got geologists, you've got all, all manner of people coming through to try their hand at, at, at becoming an operator, yeah. which is really good too because it adds the corporate knowledge of the unit, makes the unit more capable, makes Australia yeah. more capable effectively. So, and they always give a different spin on stuff that we have we take for granted
3: mm.
1: and if, and that, that in itself is make, makes units like that more um, capable because yeah. now we're solving problems from different angles. Uh, and if we get to, if we don't um, welcome this these new ideas, uh, we couldn't call ourselves elite at the end of the day because mm-hmm. you know, we've got to, they've got to consistently evolve. So all we're trying to do here is basically say, okay, the culture, um, the initial part of selection is basically to take all the oxygen away from you so that you think that you can't think, so that you think that you can't do anything else but do what you're being told.
3: Yeah.
1: And keep that headspace and you will not last. You have to think. You have to find the leverage, you have to find the oxygen bubbles, you have to, you know, all this sort of stuff. So you create space for yourself and get more comfortable in that constrictive environment. So that's why the Carter camp for us is about just putting the pressure on from the first second it starts and not relenting on the pressure till the minute they finish. Because that's where most people crumble. Otherwise, really smart and people who could really contribute to that community. Mm. We'd lose them because they just don't get that the culture is. This is not what work is like there every day, yeah, yes. as you know. Like when, yeah. when we get there as a unit, it's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. When it's time to work, we work pretty hard, but we're not mm. getting shouted at. We're not marching around everywhere like the battalions are. We're not, yeah. we're not. A lot of that stuff doesn't apply to us because it's an adult environment. Yep. So you just got to get through the first three weeks of just graft and being treated like a, a knuckle dragger. Yeah. So yeah. Through that. Once you drag your knuckles for three weeks, you, know, you pretty much you can, you can uh, unleash your wings, so to speak. Man. But, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the headspace. So we just got to get these smart people through that understanding that you just got to see this through and you've got to maximise yourself as much as you can in that space because yeah. you'll get spent on your ability to do that. Seeing it through doesn't guarantee you that you'll get picked up. But being growing in the space and showing, showing your contributions is increasing throughout that pressure and that chaos is what,
2: what you're getting selected on. That's awesome. It's really interesting as well because it's probably what you – you may have seen this on, on TV, Nick, here in Oz, the SAS Australia program, but oh, they yes, do so. shout, <laughs> they yes. do a lot of shouting, a lot more shouting than they I do. do, they do a lot of <laughs> of yeah. Yeah, It's good TV. It's good, it's good TV. It's a good show. Yeah. But isn't it interesting, like, the last series they had and they had um, Sam Burgess and they had a couple of others, but they, they got to the end and there was, like, three or four of them, I think, but only Sam was picked up, and they yeah. said it was the one percent.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to comment on the show. It's it's uh, those guys are credible guys. Like they are, mm. they are operators. Yeah, they are veterans, real veterans, and they've had done some really cool stuff and really brave stuff. Yeah. Um. But the parameters of the show, the rules of the game in, in TV land dictate mm. that, that things must be run a certain way. Mm. And uh, and, and from my experience, um, that selection that selection is not run. Uh, there's elements of that that are very similar to Real Selection, um, but there are a lot of elements that are not. And well, it's a big show on TV, so all power to them. Um, but but there, is, there is probably half, the, maybe 25% of the shouting, for one thing. Um, and, and, uh, and a lot of it's about, it's about you, um, you making conclusions about your own performance Mm. Rather than having someone give you some external feedback on whether you're doing poorly or really well, That's right. if you're going get all you're getting back is feedback about how poorly you're doing and no good stuff. It's up to you to keep yourself in the game yeah. and motivate yourself to stay there. And that, yeah. that internal conversation is the other want to get through the candidates. Is that it doesn't matter what the world's having, doing what's what's happening in the world or what the world's doing. At the end of the world, at the end of the day, if you're good up here and in your, in your heart as well. Then and that's that, and that keeps you in the game. Stay on that track, you know, keep that conversation going. Mm. Um, but if you look at the show, like we have had, we've, we're very fortunate to have trained um, um, students or candidates on the show. Uh-huh.
2: Uh, and
1: to tell you the truth, the first the first series we had um, one of our guys on it. It was a bit of a step change because we didn't know fully know what to expect in terms of how the production would run.
3: Mm. If we had
1: another third crack at it, we'd do uh, we do a lot better. Um, but then these these People we've trained, they're, they're exceptional individuals, mm-hmm. really successful in their own um, trade or craft or prof- sport or profession. But the culture aspect of it, in terms of how these things run, is different to their cultural mm-hmm. uh, aspect in terms of how the way their sports run. Yeah. So you just got to get your head around that, and uh, and that's where we've got to look. Okay, we can probably pivot the way we train uh, future candidates yep. or celebrities for these shows. So we can get more, they can get more out of it. But you talked to them, and they said, oh, mate, that was everything I wanted, everything expected and, and more. When I did that show, I really wanted to see what it was like. And I'm glad I got it, even if they didn't last the full, you know, mm. two weeks, whatever it
0: was. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. Great points. And you've, you've really sort of segued in nicely to, to, I want to get into cycle, but I just want to talk about some of the things and re-emphasize the stuff that you talked about. That drive for excellence is is a constant in it and that's obviously what you guys are doing guys do there and uh obvious 12 years is it 12 years now 13 years 12 13 years yeah Yeah, still hammering and and doing really well and being really super successful which is awesome but I, i like the points that you talked about in the selection so i haven't seen the the show over there um in the australian side i've just seen news articles and stuff bits and pieces but um I've seen similar, where there is a lot of yelling and shouting. And as we know, Nick, that, that's sort of not really the reality. You're always given the impression, and Bill Bestick shared this, a, a good friend of mine, you're always given that impression that you're failing. And I love how you spoke about it's that internal conversation that we have with ourselves to keep ourselves in the game. You're always, And, it, and they always give you a look like, is that all you've got? is is that what you think is expected do you you think that's good enough and you or you just constantly for you you do you feel like that knuckle dragger for the three weeks that you talked about so this now i'm going to close off the selection piece and sort of move into the cycle because what you've talked about i want to try to link in here and cycle obviously there's 10 to 18 months depending on, on how things go what was that like for you from, an, from the need to absorb a heck of a lot of information? Because there's a lot of information during the cycle that we're, that's condensed, compressed, that we're expected to take on and then apply effectively. What was that like for you? Not only, so two parts, the absorption of the information required and also the need to then rapidly apply it as effectively as you can. What was that like for you on the cycle?
1: Um, I mean, obviously it was a challenge, I think for all of us to say it wasn't a challenge would be, uh, probably lying to yourself. Um, mm. but I, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you like, you know, you're so keen, you're so invested in this process that you could be told to clean toilets with a toilet brush with a yeah. toothbrush for <laughs> 10 weeks and you do it because if that's yeah. meant, got, got you to where you go and then you're going to you, do it. And I think that helps a lot. Like no matter how much pressure they put on you to learn, it's stuff you want to learn. Yeah. And you want to learn it so bad that you'll study it at night and you'll, and you'll take your books home. Like I don't think there's any guys there that, that were nerds at school that would yeah. do that at school. But that space, that school, absolutely learn I got to the point where I'd buy, buy a toy pistol and be in my room I don't. This might sound like a confession to you, Joe. Too, but <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm sitting it's all right. There, yes, like,
0: I'm. I'm ready. Confession time.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there in front of my mirror, and I'm actually drawing my pistol out of my holster my, to, to to try and get my drills dialed in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the amount of study that you're prepared to do, to to get it right, to get through first time every time. And I wouldn't say that everyone would do that, but you know, some some of you guys probably think I'm a nerd for doing that, but. I also, I also see myself lucky as having started at university before I did commando selection. So right. that process of learning, well, I'm, well, one, seeing that that's not the life I wanted to do, that, that academic, that stream, but two, knowing that, okay, there are ways to learn here which, um, which some work better for me than others, so mm. I'm going to stick to the ones that work better for me. Yeah. And, and even retaining numbers or retaining – so I studied languages in uni uh, as part of my my degree, and so even verbatim trying to learn an English word, uh, sorry, a foreign word next to an English word, and just doing that really just, you know, mechanically studying something was just got my head around this whole study process. So mm. it was still a challenge, but I, I, I found that I still loved it. I still enjoyed that whole, that even the, the pressure of the CQB course, for example. You know, there's yeah. so many things you can go, you can do wrong there, and so many things you get failed on. But I, I found that once I understood the rules of that game, I just learned to love it. You know? Mm-hmm. I know, I know. We were broken up. Actually, I think we were broken up into two sections when we came back from Iraq. You were on one CQB part of the course. I was on the other mm-hmm. course, and we had to do this um. This drill where we had paint in our in our MP5s, and we basically half the. Half of that course stood on one line facing one way, facing the other way. <laughs> oh, the other half right. stood on the other line facing the other way. And he has to go, turn. And we turn and we have to shoot the opposite number with our... Yeah, that's right. And they just whittled it down over a bunch of fixtures <laughs> to get to the last two. And it was me and uh, Robbo as the last two. And I just picked him, I just turned around and hit him in the elbow. It wasn't a kill shot, but I counted, so I'll take it. But then I looked over and you was on this jump where you're clicking your heels together with all your CQP or right? cause you'd find on the outside as well. I just remember that place in my head, this big merry guy in the air, like something like out of the sound of music. Clicking <laughs> his heels and jumping for joy. <laughs> Because <laughs> he not on the side and on that side. <laughs> oh man, yeah,
0: that's that's. I remember that. I remember that man. And yes, I remember. I did jump over That's that's the, a very accurate description. I jumped oh, up dude. in the air, clicked my heels together. Yeah, yeah um,
1: man. You I said something awesome. like "woohoo" or something like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you that. I did. I did. And I remember that that drill was. Um, that was so funny yeah so there's you and i on the, on the opposite ends and I, I remember i won't mention this well i'll mention his nickname donk was the the other yeah. guy that was on there and so we're coming forward and i remember on the turn calls and we got the turn so whenever you got the turn your weapon had to come straight up be pointing at the person and one of the turns thankfully the, lucky for him the ds didn't say to 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 go um because he said turn turned brought my weapon straight up and <laughs> Donk turned and had his weapon down, so I was had him beat the whole time. And I'm just thinking, come on, give give the word, but he didn't. So then we got to, we had to turn back. Then we turned. Donk had his weapon up the next time. But it was too slow. I got him, and I was stoked. So I was like, yes! "Yes!" Did you not? Did you not celebrate? I didn't. I didn't see you celebrate like that, mate. You should not this.
2: Joe, the <laughs> so Australians are a lot more reserved when they celebrate. Yeah, they're, yes, they're, right. they
0: were more reserved in their celebration. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, no. That's a, yeah. There's a memory. Um, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Hey, you know no. what? <laughs> What I like about that, when you when you spoke about getting a toy uh, pistol to practice that. Uh, the only reason I didn't do that is because I didn't think of that you know. So I was, I was busy. This was my pistol. <laughs> oh. <laughs> my so yeah. So that, you
3: know,
0: that, in and of itself, like man, that that could have that would have been very helpful for me. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, good that you did that, and thanks for sharing that because um, yeah, I was. I only didn't do it because I didn't think of doing something like that. And I, maybe I might have thought it might have looked weird if I went in and brought a toy gun. Uh, um, I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, the, um, what was some of your... So aside from that, aside from seeing me in the Sound of Music uh, audition, <laughs> jumping up, clicking my heels, what were some of your <laughs> favorite thoughts or memories from the cycle as a whole? Because um, yeah, there was a whole bunch, man. There's There's stuff that sort of runs through my head. Is there anything that that stands out for you uh, during the – sort, whether it was the CQB, whether it was patrol procedures, whether it was – because you would have – whether it was doing the parachuting so, or combat survival or anything like that, because we weren't in the same groups for for a lot of those sorts of courses No, and stuff like no. that.
1: Um, I mean, you could probably go course by course. There's something there that I remember about all of them. that was mm, true that, to yeah. me. It was like, you know, just thinking about it now makes me you – know, not realise but it confirms for me that that – was the best decision I made in my life to that point and that was definitely what I was meant to do. Um, but also just knowing that I was surrounded by those, that calibre of people all the time and and, um, and sharing that, that hardship with them. And it's like anything, you know, if you eat, sleep and walk and talk and work with the same individuals, you're going to see commonalities between you and you're going to become fast friends soon enough even if you came from different walks of life. Mm. And that, that speaks to the human condition across the board, you know, no matter what you do, what, what your pastime is, you know, you go and work overseas in the Middle East, guys you can't speak your language. Next thing you know, you're worried about you talk you're speaking about your families and, and, you, mm. and you're sending emails after the fact going ahead and you, you realise that we're not too far dissimilar. But yeah. going back to the Rio, like, um, I, I could class every single Every single thing we did was a challenge, but also a welcome challenge, and a good time. To build really good, fast relationships with with other guys. Yeah. And uh, as far as courses go, like uh, I, like, we went down the medic stream. I went down the uh, free faller stream. Mm. Free fall is one of those courses that the army, you know, you, you, you could you could pick the thing that you most enjoy in civilian street that you love more than anything. And if the army made it a course, they would make you hate it. <laughs> you know, they, make, they, make, they make the funnest stuff. They just ruin the funnest thing. <laughs> but that's one thing they couldn't do for the free-fall course. So the free-fall course is no matter what angle you look at it, it's just fun the whole time. And oh, fair enough, awesome. it's work. But it was it was like you, all you're doing is jumping out of planes. Sometimes you have lots of gear attached to you, but you're still you're under canopy and you're and It might be at night, you might not see the ground or whatever, but at the same yeah. time it's still just a, every single jump was. I couldn't wait for the next one. So awesome. uh, and, and once again, you're dealing with the other guys that you've been that, to that point because we because Joe and I's Rio was was shortened because we got deployed to mm-hmm. go to Iraq, mm-hmm. and uh, um, so we had to come back from Iraq f- from overseas and actually finish off our Rio. So the CQB course that we did, we actually did with the Rio cycle that mm-hmm. came in whilst we were on the next re- next next selection after our selection. Yeah. Um, so all those guys that went to uh, to the one squadron to go to Iraq, we had to come back and do that, and 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 then that got us gave us a chance to build relationships with the guys in the next Rio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a very uh, for me, I, was, I counted myself lucky as, as having exposures to both Rio cycles, and there's some pretty famous, well known mm-hmm. identities in that in that second Rio, especially. Um, so, uh, just yeah, just where do I start in terms of experiences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember this. No. We're all freezing. And you, I dare say it would be the same for you. We're trying to share the share the heat of this one little mega fire <laughs> made out of sticks, made out of twi- uh, little twigs because we can't make too big a fire. <laughs> <laughs> because way. So we're all just fighting for space around this thing. And we're literally just cuddling each other and, yeah. and you know, all over each other, just full body contact, just to try and get some work out. of This little measly little, little fly which was really just for morale, not for wolf, Because you're holding water between ten guys, yeah. 10 big 10 guys. No one's getting any benefit from it, but at least you're watching the TV. You can watch that. Yeah, fly that's off. it. So, <laughs> that is that was hard, but it was also funny. Yeah, you know, it was just a Definitely. laugh. Laughing. You look back, and it's even funny when you look back at
2: it. Yeah. that was well, that's actually. That's interesting because um, uh, when Joe and I were talking in, in his podcast he was talking about some of the funny stories that he came across when he, when you guys were deployed, and there was the one of uh, um, the um the I got your back bro the incident the famous incident where there was somebody an operator protecting somebody's back as he was doing his number twos so I'm wondering do you, when you were whether it's in, was it your
0: patrol bro were you was that the-
2: you no, no. No. No? Much. You won't admit that? No? no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i was one of the other patrols. It was though. one of the other patrols. We we're, so. we're,
1: were very close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Do
2: you have any, any uh, moments like that, that that you can think, whether it's uh, operational or whether it's during uh, selection? that you Well, should. I'll tell
1: you one thing. Um, I don't know whether Joe's told this story, but um, – we were very lucky because we, we, we get, you think get of Australian ration packs because you spend most of your military career when you're on deployment eating Australian ration packs. Mm. So when we were deployed, most times we get the MREs from the from the US, mm. and uh, they'd have these, they'd have these. They'd, you get all manner of things in them, which are pretty cool, but you get these Oreos in them, and the Oreo, you know, the Oreo biscuits. And so, yeah. um, certain person used to steal all the Oreo biscuits. <laughs> actually, bought all the Oreos. To the point where we used to call him Oreo Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Must be another Joe. Another... <laughs> I, I intentionally didn't share that memory. <laughs>
2: Excellent. I'm just writing that down, Nick. Or uh, (laughs) that's right. I'm going
0: to edit edit that part out. Um, As as you know, if you've seen ours, we don't do any editing. So (laughs) actually, um, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll leave that in there. But (laughs) yes, I intentionally didn't share that story with Brian because then I'll never hear
3: the end of it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yes, man. Yeah. Thanks, man.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Nick. Thank you. And I also, well, might as well come out full disclaimer now, here's my confession now, I also really enjoyed the pound cake in those things. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) The brownie pound cake stuff, the poppy seed. Oh, man. Yeah, anyway, bringing back memories now. Um, (laughs) it, It was a nice breakup from the Australian Ration Pack. Uh yeah. Thanks for that, no,
3: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, when we were deployed, a lot of time because Joe was in a different tree to me, so we spent the first mm-hmm. part of that in, um, in, in several locations. So... Our, our um, experiences were slightly different until we joined up as a squadron a bit later on. Yeah. Um, but we did spend – prior to that, we were deployed together in, in, in East Timor as, as commandos, and uh, we mm. spent first, at least the first three months in the same patrol. I was actually his oppo, actually, so we, we were working there as, as, a, snap, as, as a, a scout pair for, for, mm. the, um, for, the, for the patrol. And, uh, like, you know, you, you spend your time – um, Looking at other guys and seeing what you can take from them, what you can learn from us, learned a whole bunch from Joe. Just standing behind him, watching—he was even to me, he was a—he was a really strong presence at the front of the patrol. Like you know, you have a lot of confidence that there's not too much going to get by him. That, and and then if he's if you you take the cues off his body language for how you should posture yourself or how where you should stand or what you should be doing, and it's guys like Joe. It could be because of his. Um, the, the group experience you had prior to that and the courses and training you'd had. But there's, and you, you're surrounded by a lot of people like that, but I was very fortunate three to be, months to be in that presence to see how, you know, guys at that level moved and walked and talked and operated. And and uh, I learned a lot from that team experience was was uh, very grounding for me in terms of, okay, um, yeah, it wasn't a high tempo by any stretch, but it was not, and I was grateful for that part. That I get exposure to these guys before we actually actually go over the berm or or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we did when we on our first deployment together,
3: mm, yeah.
1: and and that that was very much the um, the embryonic um, operator for me in terms of me developing started on that effectively started standing behind Joe in a in a small team patrol uh, recon patrol recon sniper patrol. To me, this is like I did. This is absolutely preparation for patrol course. Mm. This is how this guy's done a patrol course, so I'm just going to follow my cues off this guy. Right. And, uh, yeah. and then we got split up halfway through. So, but I was also benefited from the experience of having uh, ex-SAS, um, another scout, big, big, tall, strong yeah. man, yeah. a good yeah. man too. Good and man. And learning off him how to how to operate and how things are done. And it was different, but also equally as professional and confident so um yeah that, that was that's that's um there's heaps of funny times, but there's also mm. those times where you just go, wow well, this is this is I'm very lucky to mm. be doing this, especially for what i'm what I really want to do is go to help set me up
2: mm. well, I, I could imagine that, yeah, I could imagine Joe out in the front and i mean he does this still now, you know um and uh, and and you you feel that that presence about people and stuff, but I can imagine that um just again,' it's something I didn't think about. Having not been in that environment, but just reading the cues of others and and just be able to to to, to learn from. Oh, okay, we got here. There was this. This is how he reacted, So, what am I seeing? And having those intimate cues, I guess that could only build um, further trust because now you go, if if Joe is moving this certain way, I've got to be able to work with that. So got, I'm trusting Joe. So especially if you're running point, I can imagine how um how much trust that must build up between you two.
1: Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day. you you've got to rely on each other and mm. you've got to make yourself worthy of trust as well. So you've got to work on your personal skills and prove that you're worthy of it at mm. the same time. But, um, yeah, that, that, that's what, you know, that's what we, we drive off. That's what drives us as mm. to, to operate at that level mm. is having this, uh, you know, this deep-seated trust in the, in the people around you. And, um, yeah. and, and you know, you, you have to be worthy of it as well. Yeah, you, know, you have to work to make yourself worthy of the trust of these, these your cohort of these guys who are, are such a high caliber soldier. Um, but um, I, I think I learned more than I gave, you know, for at least for that first three months. You know, I learned more of Joan out of patrol, even even after you know four years in the army prior to that point. Um, that was very educational.
0: Mm, man, very kind very kind words brother i appreciate that i it's definitely just to echo your your words around that trust aspect yeah it's such a such a comforting feeling for me anyway knowing that uh that you and i were the scout pair and that i had you right beside me or slightly back as we needed to and chopping and changing as we needed to flow but yeah a lot of a heck of a lot of uh Confidence it instilled, and you absolutely earned everybody's trust and respect within our team, from what I saw anyway. And uh, the other guy, the other gentleman that you're talking about, the uh, the tour, the tall oh, man, awesome guy, eh? great, great yeah, man. Yeah. Can we mention his nickname? Yeah. You reckon?
3: Uh,
1: I don't know. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna. I know he's, he's known, like, known like, know he's known in
1: multiple countries under that nickname. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. okay. Well, maybe we so, won't. But, know. he knows who but he I'm sure he would he... want either way that we didn't use it. But uh, he's still serving, you know. He's still shooting. Yeah. So I mean, all power to him too. Absolutely. He's
0: uh, yeah. He's he's an awesome man, a great man. Um. But yeah, awesome, awesome points and comments. And thanks very much, Nick, for those kind words. It's um, that's awesome, bro. I absolutely. wanted to tie into um, and just on that, you know, you absolutely shared. There's a lot of stuff there which I could go into. But, um, and I'll probably talk about it as we towards later on in this interview or conversation with you. But I wanted to ask you, because there's a couple of things. For me, coming from New Zealand to Australia, and particularly on that cycle, in the New Zealand cycle we still had to click our heels together on during the cycle and double everywhere. You weren't allowed to walk, you couldn't much. You certainly weren't calling any of the staff by their nickname, like TG or anything like that, um, or by their first name. So that really caught me off guard. Did you... Because you had already gone through and been part of an SF community in the commandos, was it like that pretty much instantly? That was, did that catch you off guard? Were you surprised that um, we were able to call the staff, these sergeants, like by their nicknames, by their first names, on the cycle?
1: No. I, I think, um, you know, once again, I think I was, I was spoiled going through the commandos first. You look at the way that, like the basically the, the, the genesis of the commandos at that point in time. Majority of the Carter staff had been guys from the regiment posted out mm-hmm.
3: to the greatest
1: SF community, so they gotcha. were already uh, yeah, they were already um, spread throughout the first commando regiment, and they became the embryonic Carter staff for the for the uh, four commando. Or now, sorry, four four AR, uh, now two commando. Yeah. And so that, that precedent had already been set with um, calling the staff by their first name and calling, not, not worrying about saying sir to the boss yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And gotcha. um, I, I just thought that was part of the course. I just thought that was the way it, it had always run It would always run. So oh, yeah, it was my, yeah. that was my expectation. But I obviously prepared to call whoever you want sir and salute whoever you wanted to, but yeah. at the same time, we didn't have to do that.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's cool. I, I I'm glad because I sort of took my cues off people like you and others because I thought it was a test. (laughs) Because NZ, you still had to to double everywhere and you had to get your heels together and everybody was called staff. There was no... I wasn't calling anybody by their nickname. I certainly couldn't yeah. walk anywhere. So when I had, if there were guys like you and that around, and if we were marching somewhere, we were marching, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll march with the group. Like if if yeah. we're getting, if I'm getting binned, like surely they're all going to get binned too. Or are they yeah. calling, yeah. even when staff would tell me to call me by their like TG is one of the guys, great guy, uh, sergeant at the time on our cycle that would. Yeah, yeah don't don't worry about that and like tg and i was i still didn't trust him i thought you know, he's just trying to set me up because i'm from new zealand yeah yeah I'll tell you that will yeah, yeah, be good <laughs> so um it took me a little while to adapt to that but no that's cool thanks for sharing that that was one of the things that i i think for me <clears throat> i found really interesting and and warm about the culture. So you you sort of talked about this with your whole approach and what you felt we were getting selected for to be able to adapt and work with people, build relationships with people, and you've been able to take that into your work now and what you do and what you will continue to do going forward. Um, I, I was a lot more cagey and protective because I didn't know where I'd come from based on the knowledge that I had at the time. You weren't allowed to do that. And so for me to see and experience that one of the things that stuck out to me about the australian regiment was that it was it was quite warm like receptive mm. welcoming when i got there did you did you find that it sounds like maybe there was so maybe i'm treading over ground that you've already covered but for me from my take coming from new zealand and that environment to then australia all i had because all all we've done is just pass selection right we haven't we've just put up a hand and said hey yeah we're suitable for further training which was great but there's no guarantee for us so my whole wiring in my head was I need to run everywhere, I need to call everybody's staff, I need to do everything with a sense of urgency, which we still did. But there was this warmth and that about it and a, and a welcoming that I found. Did you feel, was that similar for you in terms of how you felt or was it because of the commando experience and the being already part of a Special Forces unit that it was just, it sounds like it was just sort of naturally an organic part for you, was it? That- be yeah, one. it was for me, I, I think, but there's two facets to
1: that. I think it's mm. by design as well. I think that because um, if you Very look at the thing. way, uh, especially now looking back on it, there's a lot of conversation just before I got out of the unit about the adult learning environment mm. and about ways that human beings uh, retain information that's been imparted upon them, how they retain it and then how they replicate it under duress. Right. And they found that um, a lot of it's about allowing greater bandwidth for more information to get in and then gradually increasing the stress for them to replicate those skills under duress to a progressive process. So um, it's very much an adult learning environment where you treat everyone like a peer until yeah. they demonstrate they're not worthy of it. But if they pass mm. the selection course, then at least you give them the benefit of the doubt. Nice. And to that point, the goal is to get – because you know, they spend a lot of money on us, they spend a yeah. lot of money on those boys going through. It's in the country's best interest that every dollar spent is on individuals who take the majority of what we're trying to teach him on board so he can do it in the worst possible situation. So if you look at it that way, uh, okay, we've, we've tested that that these guys can drag their knuckles for weeks <laughs> yeah. and we know that they're tough you know, we know that they can take a beating and now we want them to learn. Mm-hmm. And there'll be times when they cross the line, so that's when we get smashed and that's when we got smashed. Yeah. But up to that point, we're treated like professionals. And when you're in that environment, you're amongst, co- you're amongst your peers, that's where you learn and retain far more information than if you're under this threat of doing something wrong and getting smashed for it. So that that, mm. that's, that that has evolved, and it, so it should have, and to the point where, I mean, i, I haven't I'm worked in the unit for a little while now, but I mm. know that they're better operators than I was, at that same stages that where I was at, at that point, because of that, largely because it's that we're treating this like a like a, a an Ivy League school, yeah, so mm. that's the awesome, man. That's, that's the product we want. That's how we we'll treat them.
0: That's great insight. That that's yeah. That's that's awesome and it makes sense. It really resonates. And I love that point they took about by design. So there's, there's that's some great amount of information, man, because it's certainly from my experience in NZ anyway at that time. And I don't know if they do that now, um, but that's that's just a great insight and perspective that I think your words, your knowledge, your experience is going to help. Whether they do that now, whether they take that on, or whether they've already been doing it, Great. Um, or whether they haven't been, if it's still working for them, that's great as well. But I think there's absolutely opportunities to learn and grab the bits. Like you mentioned, we were grabbing bits from each other that we could take and apply and use. Great yeah. insight.
1: Because yeah. they're, they're already smart people. They've already passed the aptitude. They're, they're all, we know that they can do great things if they give them the tools and the knowledge. So mm. I'm speaking the first, I'm, really, it's, from my experience, this is yeah. when I was working there. But Yeah. I, I'm, hasn't changed so the guys that are working there now it's actually changed yes it's actually changed forever it's gotten better the way they run the, the, the whole continuation now for the Rio the, the end product they're good to go straight away like straight that's away awesome. they're already like they've been in the unit four years and they've been working doing the job because that's the way that the training package has been designed and uh and so it should you know you, you're talking about 0.01% of the world's military population operating in a very niche, niche mm. environment uh <coughs> with very very um uh, specialist uh, requirements in the, na- in the nation's interests. So there should be that amount of rigour put behind it. Um, if there wasn't, we might as well be a battalion. You know? Not, nothing, against, mm-hmm. nothing against being a battalion, but yeah. horses for courses, you know what I mean?
2: 100%. That's, um, awesome. that, that actually um, raises a thought in my head is that yeah, you're going through the this, this selection training and, and all the science, again, we're going back to science, right? All the science that's building up to make better operators, but I guess ultimately better people. Yeah, that's what we're trying to head to, and to leverage those, those power that we, we all have innately in, in our minds to become better. It's just whether we're able to apply it at the appropriate context. But I, I just wanted to go on a slight tangent, if that's okay, and just cross-training, cross-training with other SF forces around the, the world. Did, did you get to encounter that? And, and I'm just wondering what would be your experiences with training with other, other SF forces?
1: Yeah, I mean I had I lucky really to very is. lucky to have had experience with Southeast Asian nations as well as mm. some of the five eyes armies. Um, mm. um, and, and I tell you, like we can we I, I, I was guilty I was guilty of this myself. I underestimated the capabilities or the the, the toughness of um, some of the countries that we work with because they didn't have the technological advantage that mm. we had nor the education that we had. But if you look at the man to man, fair enough, the training system might not be as um, as as it was, and they don't have the budgets that we had. And this is this is this is a, the Southeast Asian countries that we're working with. Mm. But to a man, they probably had a harder life than the average Australian has had. So mm. by the time they get into those units and they're working those conditions, they're, they're they're hard as nails. They're tough. They're mm. wily. They're smart. They're they're very very capable. Uh, you give them the right tools and spend the money on them, they'll be just as good as any other operator. The only mm-hmm. difference will be the cultural issue, issue. It's cultural differences from the way they think to the way a fire nation would think. So, um, mm-hmm. But the interoperability is still there. You just have to make a slight tweak. Um, but then there are others where uh, some countries in the Middle East where we have worked with the soldiers and once again capable, but the drive and the impetus to improve their soldiery skills might not be there, whilst they mm-hmm. might have the budget. In other cases, it's a case they don't have the budget, they don't have the background, the education, they don't have any of this, and they're also working for a country that they don't believe in. So their capability is a reflection of that. So, But by and large, in fact, 100%, if I was to talk about the five Eyes nations, completely interoperable. Um, guys of the same ilk, same mm. same caliber, um, same capacities, uh just wearing a different flag on their flag patch. That's it. Wow. Mm.
2: Fascinating. Nice. So it's um I guess a, a slightly f- slightly, fo- a slightly a follow-up question, but slightly a little bit more tangent. I hear um I see the grapevine Nick that um Arnold Schwarzenegger was your hero. And that yeah, um,
1: yeah. 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 so, yeah, so th- great <laughs> 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 yeah. volume. Wow, that your, your it must
2: be Unbelievable. <laughs> Good question. Great question, Brian. Good. So let me carry let on. me continue. Yes, yes. I'll carry on. So um, in the movie Commando, right? There's a line Nick and it says, "Sally, you know I said I was going to kill you last." Yep. So what? Finish that off, Nick.
1: My oh, <laughs> told you he's got it I'm guessing bit.
2: here I'm guessing <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> so like, great movie great movie so I have, I have the sort of my head now of Nick going up all right we need to go on patrol now <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly you're in spot on
1: mate that's exactly <laughs> how I go on patrol that's it <laughs>
0: Even to this day. Even to this day. Yeah. So, so when we would go to get ready, we had nothing there because Nick had all of our weapons. Yeah, right. Nick he had, had all the ready. weapons. Oh,
2: all all strapped <laughs> so So you in the rocket launcher? Would you just yeah, you run, run of off way. the bit? Yeah, just run off the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: Brilliant that movie, literally, Count yeah, sure. Back—that's the movie that set me on the path. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and I was only a kid, obviously. So when, when Top Gun came out, for a moment there, I wanted to become a Top Gun as well. Mm. But the one that stood true was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that kicked it off. But then every subsequent movie, book, whatever it is that came across my table, that's the thing that piqued my interest the most.
0: Awesome. And
1: uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I even bought Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. That's what I, that was my template for training for selection. I soon realised that
3: wow.
1: it wasn't, but it was I head around progressive overload, you know, specific yeah. adaptation to oppose demands, all the nice. principles that he talks about in the books. And all I needed to do is apply the principles, but to a different way of training. But uh okay. wish I still wish I had biceps like him. I won't show you my arm. <laughs> <honestly>. But, but <laughs> you my, my, my might have heard that on the grapevine as well. But <laughs> But, but uh, at least, uh, at least I'll, I know, understand the principles to, to train.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. oh, beautiful.
1: Because we're gonna, we'll go into that when we talk
0: about some of the stuff with the with the mill and that as well. What you guys have been doing? Great questions, Brian. Right. Um, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm going to jump in here with uh, Have you? Because I was supposed to ask this earlier, but I'm glad that I wrote it down. Have any females <coughs> gone through selection, Nick? That you guys have helped and that you're aware uh, not, of? Not while I was there. There's was actually a couple. Oh,
1: there's, there's been. About one on every Rio, at least on every Carter course, right? The year. About one, um, maybe on the some select. of them, but yeah. there's been more and more female going through combat arms units, yep, and then attempting selection. So, selection. yeah, we're, we're, that's one of our goals as a, as a business is to get yeah. the first female all the way through. Um, yeah, I was um ask we've got that. a couple of candidates which we're working through with at the moment, awesome, and you know, it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, because you know how hard it is, and we're we we you know yeah you know, not, not, you know, I was ninety kilos. I was because I you know could I still run fast? I could still yep. lift heavy, and even that was hard. And you know you're yeah. dealing with, you deal with gear that's a sixty kilo pack is still a sixty kilo pack. So we <laughs> mm. got, got to get these chicks nice and real real strong, yeah. and get them get them a lot of endurance. And it's not doesn't mean it can't be done because you see this right now. This yeah. presents new has been said about how female fit, how fit females can be. Yes. You just have to look at the CrossFit community, for instance. <laughs> and when you look at that industry, you look at that community, you realise, okay, it's not very far away now. Mm-hmm.
3: We've
0: just got
1: to, we've got to find a person who is at that, that level who's willing to do that job. Yep. And then that that's the, that'll be the first thing we'll get through.
0: That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I mentioned that because I will yeah be keen, and and we'll be posting up the links and stuff anyway. But any of the ladies out there that are wanting to do that I think uh well not I think the place for them to go to or reach out to would be yourself at the mill gym there in Perth so that'd be fantastic great to hear that you're working with a couple as well man so that's um that's exciting but also for me anyway as a male maybe maybe just because I'm a male also daunting from the because I think as I think about that I'd love you know any female that wants to do that job and if they can show that they can do that awesome more power to them but the male side of me can't help but feel more sort of protective of, if that makes sense, of the ladies that they go in there. Mind you, if the lady gets in there, would probably be protecting me. But um, <laughs> yeah,
1: but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, Actually
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's our that's within our nature as well. But that that's that's a that's a like a paradigm shift in terms of the psyche, mm-hmm. our psyche, which we we need to make an adjustment to. True, um, because they they are, they are capable. I mean, um, my wife's crossfitting. You, you met Lisa, mm. you know, and she's a crossfitting. Yeah. She's a beast. beast. You know, yeah, yeah, look yeah. At, uh, how capable those they are, and, they, and the crew she trains with Helen and Lisa, and that crew. You realise, okay, uh, it's just a matter of time if the right person wants to have a crack at this, and they'll be yeah. just as much just as capable. I've we've worked, been lucky enough to work with females at work uh, at yeah. the unit. Yeah. Some of them shoot better than we do. Some of them shoot yeah. better than we ever will. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so they've got something to bring to the table, yeah. and they also do this. They give us this capability, which is, um, which shifts us outside of that, yeah. that, that uh, you know, that, that I guess that view or that perspective or perception of what, um, what they are capable uh, of. What, that's a view. Yeah, adds yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a whole new capability to our to the to the. To the, to the continuum that um, we really 100%. can't ignore. So the, units, the, the, the SOCOM is very forward-thinking in that respect, um, but the standards are set by war. The standards are set by combat. Mm. And the GPMG still weighs what the GPMG weighs. So yeah. Yeah, everyone's got to be expected to carry it. 100%. But going back to what I first said, like this, my wife does more pluffs than me. Yeah. So, so it's a matter. She wants to do more. She wants to lift a heavy. You know, if she wants to lift G, uh, GPmg more than I will. Then she will be she'll be a candidate as well. Yeah, so yeah. It's just a matter that's of time. Awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: Exciting, yeah. actually. I think it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. That is that is exciting. Hundred percent. I I love that you guys are involved in that and got your finger on the pulse and got a live feed to all of that stuff as well. So that's that's awesome, mate. Um, I'm gonna jump in. And go to, and Brian, you can jump in with any questions that you got on the cycle if you wanted to, but I want to move to your that's a nice move into the transition and your transition. And so uh, it would be cool, Nick, if you could speak about this because one thing that I noticed probably more so about yourself because of the friendship that I was lucky enough to, to form with you, although I didn't really delve into it because I didn't understand it. So, you obviously, from my perspective, did a lot of stuff in terms of property investing and setting yourself up. You know, you were very forward thinking. And planning and strategic about the stuff that you um, wanted to do, at least from from somebody like me looking in. Particularly when we're at four RER and the recon platoon and stuff together. And I, I guess, how was your, how did your transition first come about? Out, of, what was your decision for leaving the unit? Um, and yeah. was it two thousand
1: eight or two thousand nine? Yeah, two thousand eight. I got out. Yeah. Um, so. Um, when we get back from uh, – so my, my original plan was to do – well, my original plan was to have a family and and be a dad and be a husband. So got, that was the end state for me um, and I believe that becoming a, an operator made, made me a better – gave me a better chance of being better at that. Um, awesome. I just just saw that saw – so that the characteristics and traits that I wanted to represent as a dad in terms of being a leader and a, and a stoic – Example of how to, to take on the world would be best mm. um, shaped by joining the military. Mm. Besides, yes. I thought it was cool to join the military, but that, mm-hmm. that was the end state for me. So I said I'd do ten years. I wanted to do ten years in special forces, and I was very lucky to achieve that. Mm. And part of that is I wanted to become. So I did want to. I did join the unit to become a patrol commander. Yeah, but. Um, and and but after we came back for uh, a ride, and at that stage, I also knew okay, ten years, I wanted to have enable that, enable myself to still give myself the freedom of choice yeah. to do whatever I wanted to do when I left the military. And the only way I saw that happen is if I had a financial backing mm-hmm. of some description. So that's why property came up in, on the radar for me. Gotcha. to start buying, uh, start looking into property investment, and uh, I was very fortunate, to obviously, in a, in, before I went to recon snipers, I was in uh, a, a, um, a bloody strike platoon or whatever, whatever the platoons call themselves, but in a platoon, really good platoon, seven platoon, and two of my mates there were they heard me talking about property and said, oh, yeah, I'm interested in as well. So Jamie and Troy joined me, in, in, yeah. started a company, we started buying property in '99. And uh, throughout that whole process, we just buying houses and selling houses and that, that sort of thing. Whilst we were away in Team War, whilst we did our things, I was in records. I was by that stage, and so was Jamie. And, and Troy was still in the in the um, one of the um, um, companies. Yep. And then I thought, okay, that's that's what we am going to do. I'm just basically going to get get a back the financial backing of houses behind us, so by the time I left, I wouldn't have to rush anything. When we got back from um, um, uh, Iraq. In 2003, we went on yep. team and we did. We were on team for a year, mm. so I was a sniper at that point in time, and 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 also a breacher and a couple of other things as well. Yeah. But I actually found that I was getting tighter and tighter. Like I was, like I, I was a pretty bad sleeper, but I also valued. I was so far into property investing that when I knocked off from work, I'd go home and research properties.
3: Yeah.
1: Gotcha. And go, Where's the next thing we're going to purchase? What do I need to do to get finance for it? And all that sort of stuff. So I was effectively working two jobs. I look back at it now, I was putting a lot of hours to make that happen. Mm. I was just committed to that life after the Army as I was to being committed to the Army. And uh, that you can only do that for so long. So about uh, three-quarters of the way through our time on team, I was hanging off the side of the building uh, with my um, patrol and we were waiting for the go, go, go. And I was just getting tired and tired and I was losing concentration and I was starting to zone out. We are hanging off the side of the building, I had the charge. And I missed the count. I just fell asleep. I literally fell asleep on the rope. I missed the, missed the count. The guys on the other walls on the other sides of the building, they hit their charges and those charges woke me up. I woke up, put the charger on the wrong window, and everyone was looking at me going, what's going on? Literally hanging off mm-hmm. the side of the building having these confused looks me and I said, mate, I've got to call it. So I, I called it and as soon as I called it, up to that point, I didn't realise how tired I was. And when I called it, this, this whole fatigue just, just dumped itself on me. Basically, every part of it, every, dead, every aspect of every chromosome in my body, I just felt this deep-seated level of fatigue. I spent the next six months in bed. So I spent 23 hours a day sleeping and one hour a day on the couch because that's my exercise for the day and that's how my life ended. So my wife um, and my girlfriend at the time, but she's my wife now, uh, she basically looked after me hand and foot and I was losing conditioning. I was missing out on the boys doing their thing. They did a rotation in Afghanistan after that. I missed out on that. I was just driving myself from the ground, thinking I'm no longer capable, no longer So I identified myself as being that person. Mm. And it was I was still but I still had in my head, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna get back to the squadron, get back to the squadron. And uh, after about uh, it was just under uh, 13 months, I was out, six months in bed, remaining out of time, just trying to get back up to scratch. And part of me said that I would never get back to scratch, but I did go back to work and I did yep. work, but I was nowhere near the level that I, I was at, that you were, and uh, and guys noticed it. Guys knew it straight away, and uh, I just basically struggled through the next three three or four years trying to get through. So I also knew that the writing was on the wall. Like there's no, there's nothing out there. There's no information out there. It wasn't even diagnosed as a real thing, chronic fatigue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of the um, advice I'd gotten back at that stage was, I oh, just need to go to sleep, have a little sleep. I said, mate, i have been sleeping for six months.
3: Mm-hmm. I still don't
1: feel like I can get out of bed, literally, li- let alone talk to people. Yeah. So I basically lived in a hole for, uh, well, at least nine of those 13 months, but definitely six of those months I was in bed. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I never got back to scratch, even, uh, even after, you know, obviously, at OC, we know OC. OC looked after me really well. Mm. Like he said, whatever you need, mate, you just take whatever you need and you just, mm. you know, you try everything. You're all back here. You can have a little time off you want. And that gave me courage because a guy like that yeah. says that to me, it means that, okay, maybe he recognises that I'm still worthy. Okay, i will going try and yeah. back, to, back to scratch. Mm. I did come back and I did do a couple of deployments. Luckily, they were low, low, te- low tempo deployments. But they also realised that, and I realised after talking to the staff that I really could only do bodyguarding jobs. So I did the, a lot of the PSD stuff, and that kept my kept me sane, effectively, and it kept me deployed, kept me going all over the place, and working with other people, and other units, other countries, other parts of the ADF. Yeah. So that that kept me in the game. But I also knew that if I was to do selection again, there's no chance I'd pass it because I just could not get back to fitness Yeah, but I also knew that I also had now I started having a bit of an nest egg. so by the time I left uh, I knew that I was going to leave in 2006 so I started my transition two years prior to actually getting out and that was effectively 10 years from when I passed commando selection so I ticked the box in terms of 10 years in the regiment or 10 years in SF which I'd said I would do
3: Yeah, but
1: I also knew that I wouldn't reach the PC or wouldn't become a PC. My last two patrols were as a to IC, so I was grateful for that
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, position and, and one of our patrol commanders, we both know him, he only just got out Harry, he's still one of oh. our best mates in and he was, he was very much a mentor for me through that process
3: yeah.
1: and still is to this day really, um, he's done really well in his own sphere in life as a psychologist, yeah. so a very successful psychologist. Hundred um, percent. But I think I was elaborate for it to at the same time. Like, you know, a little bit of practice with this day, but it was it was quick pro quo effectively. So, um, but that 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 whole process was. I saw the rider on the wall. I saw that I could really couldn't contribute at the level that I was accustomed to, but I saw myself as being able to. Yep. And uh, I knew that you know that, that that chance of hanging off a wall and falling asleep again and zoning out was 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 still a real threat. So I said, okay, it's time to call it. So I called it, took a, took a fair bit of time off before I called it, used up some more leave, and and I was, I was still planning to go back and go back to Queensland and, and get back into surfing and, 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 and still do the property thing, so become a builder. That was my main thing uh, because I knew that I could set my own. I, couldn't, I knew I couldn't work for anyone. I just knew I, I, well, I literally couldn't work for anyone. I, was, I couldn't do eight-hour days. Couldn't do it 40-hour weeks by any stretch. I still was suffering from um, migraines. Migraines came on mm. pretty much as soon as I called the mm. quits. So I was getting these massive migraines, throwing up and all that sort of stuff because it's like a pain I'd never experienced before. Yeah. But they last for days. And you just go, okay, I can't work for anyone like that because I'll be unreliable in terms of having to call sick days. And you they'll know, start thinking I'm taking a piss and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I thought, okay, i got to work myself. And so I started, uh, start, started transitioning, started doing some things around getting a builder's ticket. And then um, then Joe hit me up about uh, following the, in the steps of Jim Jones or Mark Twight. <laughs> starting you know this sounds pretty interesting. Was on the radar.
3: Yeah, but I'm
1: glad. I'm so glad that you came to me because what it said to me at the time was that I still valued amongst my the guys I respected most. Even though I couldn't contribute that level, I still could contribute at some level. And, and I was buying properties with two of my Commando mates. So that day kept me sane as well. But knowing that I was still counted as worthy was was uh oh mate oh, you, you you had me at you had me at hello you know that, that sort of thing <laughs> wow. I'm in straight away so um yeah so there was a it was I wouldn't go be so dramatic as to say it was a life saver, but it was very much a big a big point in my life to be be involved with Joe and, and the gym mm,
0: man that's an incredible story and that's you know a lot of that stuff on the peripheral I didn't really know all that detail and and those things man as as I discovered those because I saw a couple of podcasts with yourself and that on there watched them uh, on full watch and really enjoyed it but also took a lot away from that personally even stuff that my wife has shared I've had a habit of and I showed it not only in NZ maybe not so much in NZ because I was told one thing but then the goalpost changed so I sacked it and said well I'm going to Australia but then I did a similar thing there it's like well I was, trying to be forced into doing something that I didn't want to do. I just wanted to stay as the operator. I didn't again, I didn't have those aspirations of PC or rank and that sort of stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just I just wanted to be a trooper and just keep keeping.
3: <laughs> so
0: um and but then I when I got backed into a corner, I moved away and then what I didn't do in our situation which I was really, you know, as I looked at those podcasts I looked on, really made me internally reflect on not only your words, but also what my wife has shared with me. I was like, man, I felt really bad about that stuff. And so, you know, really, really sorry about what I did and just leaving. So I left you and guys that were still serving in the unit. Um, in that situation with regards to the gym in City, listen, I'm not, and I didn't take the time to talk about it because it's it was never one of my strong points, I don't think. Um, and it's still not. It's something that I'm trying to learn through now. But I really appreciated you speaking about those things because it just opened my mind up to get out of my own bubble that I've been in, you know, um, just because otherwise I probably would have still been wired the same. So uh, in appreciation and a thanks to you sharing that stuff. And you talked about this at the start off camera before I hit record, about the importance and need to share this information and these types of things. Mm. And yeah, they may not be they're not things that I'm proud of, but I'm absolutely one of the things that I'll forever be grateful for is the fact that I've got you as a friend, always had you as a close friend, you've always had my back with regards to when we were working together and even when we when we weren't like with the gym and we were doing that in business, but my naivety and, and immaturity at the time didn't allow me to to see the bigger picture. Nor did it allow me to um, you know, understand where you were coming from and challenges that you were going through so i got nothing but love and respect for you bro with everything that you've done what you've gone through what you've continued to focus on and build and galvanize the team of people that you have supporting the business partners your beautiful wife lucy and your children one child or two one child yeah
1: one
0: One child child and a horse
3: one
0: child and a pony
3: and and a pony and a pony
0: all of that stuff, made in so much more to come. This isn't that we're not wrapping this up, but I just wanted to. It was nice to be able to acknowledge you at this time and to apologise for this, for that hole that I left you guys in, um, and I didn't realise till only recently how deep that was. But the resilience that you've shown, that you've garnered from all the experiences that you've had. Um, is a real testament to the, to the sort of man that you are and those qualities that you embrace of being a special forces operator and how that transfers into life today. So massive respect for you, bro. And, and I do apologize for what happened, but grateful that you've accepted and come on this uh, this podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, mate, wouldn't be anywhere else right now. Uh, but yeah, no, I appreciate that, Joe. Thank you. Look, at the end of the day, I, I'm, we are... Our heart, for what we did, for what we, what we aspired to do in service in whatever way you look at it, mm. that our heart is in the right place. And But the other thing is we're all flawed at the end of the day. We've all got our strengths and weaknesses. And to hold those flaws against us would be for, for you know, what's it, 10, 10 years now would be, is, is ridiculous. Is a ridiculous mm. thought. But I know guys who still hold, you know, hold yeah. grudges after all this time. But we can't evolve it's just not, not a sign of, uh, of us learning the lessons that life gives us um, and I know I knew your heart I knew the sort of person you were I knew that I also know that we we like there are times when I was going through what I was going where I did not come off as the nicest guy or I did not come off as a as a, as a selfless guy um, because we all go through things in our life whether we're sick or not or whether we've got issues with family or because I know a lot of the guys especially working in a position where I was to see, the law, if there's any issues with the guys, they're all good guys, usually because there's something going on outside of this space here that we can't yes. see right now. And if we take the time to investigate what that thing is, then we'll get to the root of it, because we can't write the guy off as being poor of character or anything like that, because in our environment, they're selected for the character, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they have good mates, they build a brotherhood because of those traits and characteristics, so we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt looking to look and say, okay, what's, what else is going on here? Mm we've got to give this guy the time and space to either sort it out or help him sort it out. And sometimes it might take two minutes, sometimes it might take 10 years. And that's the thing too, when you're looking back at this, like I, I, I never spoke about that, our bust-up. Mm, I never yeah. spoke about that to anyone, no one. Yeah. The only people I spoke to about was the guys who were going to come on as business partners because they needed to know my perspective on it. Yeah. But outside of that, no one else deserved to know because... What what happens in that environment is people start to they 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 get a little bit of information, but then mm-hmm. they let their own bias fill in the rest of the mm-hmm. gaps for them, and yeah. it becomes something that it is not it's not real. So they they might be assessing you as something that is not you, mm-hmm. but they let their own bias play into it. Whether they had a grudge against you or not, or didn't know you or knew you really well, they're going to put that lens over the top of it. Yeah. So that 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 doesn't need to come into this space. Because Chinese whispers gets around, next thing you know, you said this about me and all this sort of stuff. And <laughs> that just makes this whole thing more complicated. So yes. I, was, I didn't speak to anyone about you or me yes. other than those people who are going to actually invest their money into this. And they already knew you anyway. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, and well, you've got to put my perspective because if we're going to have, lay all the cards out on the table and you're actually going to give me money that could have gone on to putting food on your table for your family, mm-hmm. I've got okay. to give you my perspective and make it as objective as I can. Yeah. Um but um, also, there is a lot. There was a lot of emotion in that. There was it's huge emotion. In that. It's quite a, quite a, um, a defining time, I think, and the hardest thing, but also the best thing. Being sick and going through all that sort of stuff, the, the, all at the same time, you know, you see, you see the true character of a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, especially those you deemed as your friends, and mm-hmm. and and you realise that those people who, who um, and when we got to, so this is years, years later, we got together, we met at a little a restaurant halfway between where mm. we were at that stage and we hugged it out, we literally hugged it out. You know, we yeah. said, you know, mate, I'm sorry. You said you're sorry. I said, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, a little bit. I had a little, we had a little bit of a, a chat and a lunch and that. And then we, then, then that was it. it was, as far as, yeah. as far as I was concerned, I was there before we even got to the table. Mm. I was there not long after you left. Like I, I would never, if you had said you wanted to come back, it would have been up to my other partners as to whether you would have come back because I would have said yes, you know. Mm. But, um, oh, but that's that that could be a fault, could be a plus. I don't know. But that's the mm. way I am at that stage. But I think the key thing out of that is not, not, um, not talking about you or that to anyone else after that because I know how our, our environment works. It's hypercritical. You know, <laughs> people. You could, yeah, you had this. You'd be talking to two yeah. operators and you talk about one person. One operator say, I love that dude. He could if die, yeah. I, died, I to look after our kids. And the other guy goes, I hate that dude. There's no <laughs> way I'd even go, I wouldn't even speak <laughs> to it. him. It's just hype. It's either one way or it's completely the other way. And that's the way it is a lot of guys there. And it's good. It's part of the case, that's part of the thing that makes them drive that drives them hard. They see things in black and white. This is the right way. This is the way we're doing it. But um, at the same time we need to apply the same, apply some variances in the way we conduct ourselves and the way we see things differently to different situations.
2: And this is one of those situations where I'm like, always going to give something better than doubt. That's awesome. Wow. Man. Great you know that it is, and, and sorry to, to into, into, uh, interject on that through. because the um, it, I think from what I what I just heard there was was a summary of leadership. That's what I heard. Absolutely. Um, because you know and, and this one of the things that annoys me in the civilian world um, corporate world is that we we, th- we throw somebody, they get a they get a, a manager title or they get a, a lead title, and all of a sudden they're expected to to understand how to lead, how to manage people manage things, all right and, and then it's total opposite, you know the, the way you described it, you know, the, 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 um, I've had situations where, people around me have, have, have gone off and they started to be uh, bullying. They, they, they get into bullying or they, they, um, they find ways to undermine a position without actually understanding it. And you, you've described the exact opposite of that. And at the end of the day, it's about how we connect with people and, and so forth. So I'm just a little bit curious from your um, experience now. You've, you've been out of the, the regiment for a little while and um, you're working in your gym and you're working, I guess – that corporate environment you're working with your own, your investment portfolio, have you found like the leadership space, um, the principles that you hold true in, in the in your military world still apply succinctly in the civilian world?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that, that's the, the military world set me up for the civilian world mm. without a doubt. Like, um, I mean, Jim. Gym, so Jim gym, gym, effectively Joe established the gym and and. Joe said that we wanted a selection process to get in. It made sense to us, so we we, we were all in. Yeah. But so from the military perspective, it made so much sense because we're going to surround ourselves with people who we can actually get on with. And when we look, I look back on that, I was best man. I'm best man at some of our members' weddings. Mm. That's how good this, this oh. community is. You know, Our first yeah. two members are still members of the gym today. And this is 13 years later. Wow. And Joe knows those guys. So you, you look at that, and you go, okay, we've got something cool here, and it's because we set a bar for entry. So that's the view inside of it. But if you look at that commercially, that is terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, just reinforces, it just reinforces the comment I made earlier. I told you I wasn't smart. I was to demand this because it came back, and it proved it was actually. Having that bar was—it speaks to certain people. Initially, it, it didn't. So, if I just rewind a little bit, to, to knock back ninety percent of the people, any convert, not, not, not knocking back ninety percent of your clientele is a recipe for disaster, especially mm-hmm. for a small business in Australia, where seventy-five percent of small businesses fail within mm-hmm. the first three years. So, we were very much going to be one of those statistics. But um, one thing we did see is that. Um, there were people who actually understood what we were trying to say. There were people out there who actually understood that these guys didn't think they were too cool for school. They didn't think they were elitists or anything like that. They just had this metric which said that life is not a participation medal. Life is either you succeed or you fail and you keep going until you succeed. So we set up an environment in our community where you to succeed, this is the metric, this is the standard. After that, there's a whole a whole list of rules which you need to align with, which if you're a good person, there's going to be no impingement on the way you do your thing, mm. the way you live your life. But if you need adjustment, then you're going to find this environment very hard. So so what it said was that um, there are people out there who actually got that and all we needed was 100. We just needed 100 people who could make it to the gym on a regular basis to pay fees that that spoke enough to that they come and pay those fees and do it. And mm. we're lucky that it was well and truly 100 people who got that and said this is where I want to park my money and this is where I want to train. But it took a long time to get there. It took a lot of heartache to get to that point because we're only still getting we're only still getting our heads around the internet. and, uh, <laughs> and Our first two members, I don't even know how our first members found out where we were. <laughs> you can ask them today. You can ask Ryan, hey, Ryan, how did you hear yeah. about us guys? I don't know. It's actually probably on the grapevine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. And Darren's the same thing. He goes, Actually, I just, I just, someone told me that you guys are open or something. So he just <laughs> rocked up. We were actually setting up the gym when he rocked up. I'm putting stuff up. I go, Mate, are you all right? Do we do you need anything? You, so you hear the train. All right, sweet. i the train. But that's how it started. And, and, and you look at that and you go, Well, there's enough people out there who get this. Mm. And so that made it worthy, that made the heartache worthy. And it was hard because I was still I was, you know, still in fatigue big time back then, especially. And, and our and our very much our charter was to train with our members. Mm-hmm. So we were spending a lot of time training. And when we have very few members, like two members, it's very easy to do that. <laughs> but when you've got members coming in all day, every day, you can't do that. Eight hours a day of training, you just can't do it. So mm-hmm. so but to, to the best that we could, we had to walk the walk. And if we said that we were going to do something, we better do it to the hilt, and we better do it with absolute extreme prejudice. Otherwise, we'll be seen as less than we than we put out there, less mm-hmm. than we project. And that perception is critical for building community because people have to have something to believe in that mm-hmm. is true. That is that is a, a cardinal point for them. It's a measure, whatever it is they they, they deem is important, and uh, you've got to represent it. So. That was, so the mill was, like I said before, was, wasn't quite a lifesaver, but it was a lifesaver because it uh, kept saying, if I couldn't live that life in the military, at least I could try and emulate that life outside mm-hmm. the military. And as part of that was it attracted people to the point where people would come to me and say, oh, Nick, um, you guys, what are you still doing? Do you need any help with anything? And that's how we met our next two business partners. They were basically, one of them was a, was a builder and he'd sold his building business and said, oh, like, you need anything I've got to do right now? Do you need help? And uh, that's how we started the exploration company because I said, oh, look, we want to get out of security. We spent a lot of time travelling and we don't want to travel that much we got out of the army because we didn't want to travel so much. He said, have you thought about geological exploration? And I said, no, tell me more. And he said, you've got to speak over to that member over there. So we went and spoke to that member. That's Pete. Pete's in the office next door and he's the MD of our exploration company. He just sold out of his exploration company and started a new one with us and... That's how that side of it. But that, that, that's the way that started is because we set up a community built on trust. Mm. You know, we, we wouldn't have these people coming to us if they didn't think we were worthy of their trust and their time. And these guys are already established guys, they're already wealthy guys. They've already been there and done it. So for us, it's a massive learning curve to just just to hang with them. And to spend time and be graced with their presence effectively and it's been really good for us you see something scribble on the board it doesn't make sense to me so i hope it doesn't make sense to you but it, that's it does but <laughs> i'm almost i where i can contribute even though i'm not a geologist and uh, yes i can lift heavy things and yes i can teach people to train and, try and set their mind for how to do selection but i can also uh, effectively i'm effectively managing our people that's that's our job we've got 30 staff and my job as director for these for our staff is to make sure that they are they're trained. Uh, they deploy all over Australia at this point in time. to some very remote areas to make sure they're trained and and safe, and uh, they're managing their risk. And then they come back and they're, they're they're debriefed and all this sort of stuff. That's that's my job as the. It's not a full-time job, so I'd rather lift weight. So I'm yeah, lifting weight. You know? <laughs> I was, I'm maybe shifting heavy things or what I think are heavy things to my wife walks in. And then, <laughs> then after that, then I just you know, put, on a, put on a a come walk and actually come sit in the office and, and, and do what needs to be done here. But, um, yeah, it's about, about managing people as best yeah. I can, try to help get done and, and, and where the company's going and, and trying to make sure that they have absolutely everything they need to do it so that we, so the organisation is not stopping them from being what they can be, effectively.
2: Oh, That's awesome. I like that because uh, I mean, uh, just in my travels, as seeing across different organisations, the the biggest stumbling block is the organisation. They put process mm-hmm. and barriers in place, and they expect people to be able to lead because they've gone on a one day course or something, and um, yeah, and then all of a sudden they start with people and they have they, they flounder, and and while some people can. Fl- work with that you know some people aren't able to what you've alluded to or actually more than alluded to you've said throughout it's connections and the trust all the way through and supporting people it's like you put people first and support and trust and then they can get the job done yeah yeah uh, yeah. it's it's that simple
1: but it's also hard yeah, yeah, yeah everyone's got different expectations and Mm. I mean, a part of it is the language. You got to align what trust is, what what it actually means, because even trust has different different definitions to different people.
3: Oh,
0: so
1: man, yeah. if we can set what that means and how it represents in the way we walk, talk, and treat each other, then people will know, recognise it when they're getting it. Oh, this is this worthy person is worthy of trust. Yeah. And a lot of that's built around your capability. You know, professional capability and capacity and your ability to do your job well. But it helps to be a good person. It helps to be able to get on with people.
0: Yeah, it's awesome, man. Such good information, bro. I've, I've taken so much from your words and what you've shared in here, just in, in that segment alone or that piece alone. I guess it probably ties in with. I have probably just got a couple more questions from my side for you, Nick. And really, it's more if you would wouldn't mind taking an opportunity to just talk a bit about your businesses and what it is that you guys do and how people can connect with you. What those? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's if that's all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, take, take the name of the business okay. and what it does, and then also, you know, and where um, what people can expect from you and, and your company, and uh, so, that they, so that we can sort of direct traffic and stuff there as best we can. Um, yeah, thank,
1: so, you. thank you, guys. you. I appreciate that. Um, um, yeah, I guess we, we, we we're, so my, my main thing is, well, I'm actually 50 50. My heart, my soul is in surfing and shooting, that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, with it, as being a director, you get a certain amount of flexibility, but it's still a lot of responsibility goes with that, so that takes yeah. priority. But um, I think that you know, for, for we've got two businesses. One is the geological exploration business, which is called OmniGoX. two words, oh, Omni GOX and geological exploration effectively is a, is a shortened term for it, GeoX. Gotcha. And uh, those, uh, GeoX.com, OmniGeoX.com is what what's the, and we've been around since 2011. So we started the business in 2011. And mm-hmm. When we started, we spent a lot of time because we did a fair bit of work in Madagascar and um, Indonesia, Philippines. All we spent right. a few years in Myanmar um, uh, setting, up a, setting up some exploration projects over there. Yep. And really, effectively, all we do is we send, we, we get a lease, a mining lease whether it be in Australia or overseas, and we secure the mining lease, then there is a minimum amount that needs to be spent on that to order to retain the mining lease. And when they say spend, it means sending out geology, um, geologists out there to get geological data on it because there's, people think that all Australia has been explored, but it hasn't really been explored. There's so much Australia hasn't been explored, so the government appreciates data sets coming back. But based on the data, it might be commercial. So if it's commercial, then you could potentially sell it on. It's like buying a house and renovating it. The renovation part is actually building the data sets on the block of land. Yeah. So we could renovate the house and sell it to someone else, or we can renovate it, knock yeah. it over, and build a skyscraper on it. So the, the analogy is the, a asset which is worth holding on to will list it. So we'll, we'll, awesome. if it's worthy, we'll list that company. So that, that's the other part of what we do. We... We Take mining assets, gold, copper, and nickel effectively, and we list them on the stock exchange. Awesome. And uh, mm-hmm. that's kept us, that's another part of our business which has been exceedingly um, successful. Yeah. Uh, and then, but, uh, and so our exploration arm, um, we do a lot of consulting for small to medium tier mining companies. Our, our geologists that we have on staff here go you know, work contracting, consulting for these small tier medium mining companies because they always need, every, all, the, all the mining companies in the world, they always need to explore. They can't stop exploring whether there's a recession or a boom or whatever. They've got to keep exploring because they need to have the next 20 years' worth of projects on their books in order to mm. maintain their licence to operate. So exploration companies, especially consulting companies like us, will never not have work. We've never stopped having work because there's a lot of small-tier, ASX listed as well as other countries listed, geologists to work, but they can't hold on to those geologists full-time, so they yep. contract their guys on so that's the other aspect of our exploration business. And um, oh, the consulting part of it is, is where we started and the listing, the ASX companies part of it is what we started subsequent to that. Um, and that's effectively us. That's our, that's our trajectory. That's what we've been doing since 2011. And that's what we we'll continue to do. Um, uh, yeah, uh, we've got COVID. COVID last year was crazy mm. time. For most people, it was a crazy time. For us, yeah. it was a very interesting time. Um, because what it also reiterated once again that no one can stop exploring. Like the mining industry, in Australia, especially in WA's, is one of those things which has priority. For for, say for us as a company, we were very, very lucky to do well out of that, that whole oh, period. that's awesome! So um, it didn't
0: affect you guys; you were able to no. keep operating as as per normal, pretty much.
1: No, this time last year we had fourteen staff. Right. So, oh, yeah, All you know, huh? thirty effectively doubled. Yeah, because uh-huh. because, of that, because of the whole period of uncertainty. Um, yeah. And our ability to be, you know, ready to go, to be, yeah, you know, we're, we're, that can-do attitude, you know? and also making sure we've we managed our risk in terms of, well, if it does go south, how do we manage our risk? And we've been through a couple of cycles now, mining cycles anyway. Yeah. We still continue to grow, so um, that that's been that's been an eye-opening for me in terms of not only business but also big business, the way these way organisations work in terms of raising capital. In terms of listing, in terms of raising capital, once you're listed, all that sort of stuff as well has been has been a a, been a crazy experience for a little old trooper from uh, from (laughs) Queensland. (laughs) But but but, I'm still continuing to learn. I'm I'm very fortunate to still retain a position as director. I actually resigned as director in 2015 to focus on the gym because I had enough. I just wanted to lift heavy weights and and surf and shoot. and and, uh, good priorities. And then when we went to thirty people, it got to the point where uh, they ne- I, I needed to come back to help out, effectively and, and contribute because there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts, and and the company's still growing. So I came back on as a as a non-exec this year, and yeah. I've been working with our crew to to develop them and yes. to make them more capable and safer out, out, out on site. And, uh, and it's effectively because we've got a process now, and the process is. Um, it, you could effectively match it to an RTO, which is the right, next phase yeah. of this process. So now yep. our clients are recognising this and engaging us for further training stuff. So I've been doing yep. a lot of training stuff for clients as well uh, in the exploration space and mainly around managing risk, so field operations, like so camping effectively or going out push on patrol. <laughs> sort of so, and But that experience too, I'll leverage that experience. I'll tell some yeah. stories from back then. And one thing I've noticed working in the mining industry, or working in the exploration industry more specifically, is um, they're pretty hardy crew because they come in green fields. Like there's no one else out there. They're just picking up rock samples or picking up dirt samples, and no one's around for you know 600 to 800 k's. They've got a sat phone, and that's it. So they're pretty hardy, experienced crew, but they still love war stories. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, start, they're starting to nod off because some of the stuff yeah. you're telling them is pretty mundane. You just throw in a war story put one in there. They're waiting. Next thing you got them back, so you can start then continue on with, uh, with your special teaching. Yeah, <laughs> I tell the commando story now. Yeah, the story. Is- <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, whatever, if, 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 whatever we can do to get them get buying effectively and to keep them safe, and then uh, that's what we do. So awesome. I'm very once again being able to pull on that, that those experiences and that, that time. Has been has been paying itself off, and uh, yeah, hopefully, it's going to pay off when my daughter gets to 13. and She has her first boyfriend as well. You know, so I'll be threatening <laughs> enough to, to be <laughs> able to draw on those stories, and <laughs> 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 you know, that's the next challenge, but yeah, you know, a pretty good. Touch, with
0: it.
3: oh man, that's
0: Thank awesome. You. So that's that's with Omni Geox and the Mill Gym. Those are the two core businesses for you at the moment, bro? Yeah, yeah.
1: So we, we, we're doing security stuff, but we, yeah. we wanted to get out of it. So the expiration piece, once once expiration found its own feet it was yeah, it was a good, strong, viable business, we shut down the, the security piece. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 glad we did it. You know, yeah, I I've got a much better lifestyle now. I still I still deal with fatigue. I, yeah. I still that's just that's still a, a thing for me. But if I had to work, I don't think I would be here without the help of one, my wife, but also mm. my business partners, and also the great staff we've got. And you look at our staff, our trainers. We've got the same trainers that, that for the last seven years in an industry yes, where the turnover is mm. super high for trainers. Yeah. These guys are the most brew. You know, even if they qualify as a doctor, he's come back. They come back and help out on camps. Oh. You know, they're still they're super busy guys. We've got two doctors on staff now. And, One's, one guy we worked with in the in the regiment, he decided that he after sixteen years in the unit, he'd go to med school. Wow. He, he never classed himself as a book nerd like me, never never like Joe does, never classed himself as <laughs> a book nerd. But he smashed those books like he yeah. he became a doctor in a big way and he's, he's now practicing. But he also comes back and helps in our camps. Like he's so understated, so professional, so knowledgeable that and he, he believes in what we do and he's like my brother as well, you know. We, mm. We uh, will help each other out, help each other out with each other's kids, that sort of thing, as we go along. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and our staff's the same. Yeah, we just had one of our staff, which you know as well, Joe, who passed mm. selection last year, but he's been with us for ten years. I was so proud, and I also knew that he was that was in the back of his mind. He was thinking about doing it for so long. He finally had the courage to have a crack at it, and he, he had a crack pass first time.
3: That's a amazing. good individual, good human
1: being, such a good bloke, and he'll do wonders for the regiment. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of him. And one of the other guys who passed TRG selection as well. So um, yeah, oh, these guys goodness. always got somewhere to go, always pushing for something, but they always come back and help us out. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have those people.
0: That's awesome, man. And what a great acknowledgement of of those people, not only your beautiful wife and your your daughter that you have, Good luck, uh, those 13-year-old boys that um, want to come knocking. <laughs> I, wish, I wish you luck. <laughs> uh, you better,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: just be warned, he doesn't just have toy guns at home. So uh, just be, be yeah. not, He's not just
1: toy guns anymore. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs>
0: but, man, it's so cool and, and really great to hear. So happy and pleased for you, your family, everybody that's part of the group that you've helped to create bro it's um it's fantastic to hear i guess you've touched on so much what's next what's next on the horizon for you apart from just wanting to do surfing and shooting and and that sort of thing what's as are there plans for you next in terms of obviously things are still growing in that exploration space as well but what's next for nick and and before in case i forget can you talk about the camps that you run as well what the names of them are What and a a summary of what those are, so that people can hear a bit more about those camps and that as well.
1: That'd be awesome. Yeah, those camps were born of that. That um, that what we said to ourselves in terms of making sure the next line of Australians or next line of operators are better than we were. And if we had, if we could go back twenty years and say, what would we have liked to have had, as we were trying to develop to, to achieve those goals, can we provide that now? And a big one, big part of that is mentorship. So being able to say from a someone who's been there and done it. This is what's helped us and after looking after and training a number of others, this is what's helped them as well and try to get them into that space. And, but it's like what I said before about the X factor, you just don't know how hard people are willing to push themselves. One, because in most cases people never, never even touch the sides of their limits, mm. never even know mm. the fullest extent of their capabilities and capacities until they're really pushed that way. And a lot of things in Australian society don't allow for that. They don't allow for kids to be pushed they don't allow for adults to be pushed and we're also very comfortable to the point where we, there's no hardship, physical hardship in our life other than those that we see subjectively from our perspective. But if we were to go to another community on the other side of the world in the middle of the mountains and it's sub-zero degrees temperature, the air is really thin and every day is survival, then you realise what hardship is. Mm-hmm. So we can't we can't put them on a plane and send them over there and make them live with their family whatever. So the camps were designed to actually try and simulate that situation where the first day of selection, that shock of realising you have no control over what's going to happen next, all you have control over is the way you think and the conversations you have and the way you interpret your environment. That's what you have control over. So we have to give them a, a situation where we can put them in that position straight away and so the, the Carter camp was the first camp we ran which is basically the Carter course but abbreviated significantly from from 3 weeks to 36 hours but 36 hours is as hard as we can make it yeah in terms of well yeah we've done our risk assessments we we understand that there is a risk associated with driving people this hard for this long with this little sleep and this little food yeah but we've got it down to the point where we we've done two every year for the last you know 10 years or something, awesome. and we've had people flying away from all over the world to do it. Uh, so we've got a good demographic, good understanding of where our audience is and what the capacities are. And for those people who don't train unless we fly in, we don't know how fit they are. Yeah. But we know how much a person can take in 36 hours. There's enough There's enough study out there, but there's also
3: yeah.
1: oh. including selection and helping out on selection and experience selection all the way back to that, that period. And so the goal is to simulate as, as real, uh, as as real as realistically as we can, to best position those candidates when they come onto selection, so they don't have to suffer from the overwhelm of having that culture imposed on them, like immediately with no relent, with absolutely no relent or no easing off at all. Yeah, gotcha. So mm. It's our job. It's our job as instructors, and, and there's ex current and current serving SAS instructors on it. And what we do is we basically make it as hard as we can on those people because the harder we make it, the easier or the more acclimatised they are to it when they see it for real. Mm. So it's in our best interest and their best interests to make this as hard as we can make it. And some people used to say, oh, because it's a civilian course for civilians. You know, you're making them have tea breaks and have a sleep and whatever it is that? No, we don't actually. No. In fact, if we did that, they would not come back. Mm-hmm. We have people redoing the Carter camp over and over because we give them feedback at the end of the 36 hours. We sit down with them, all the staff, all the senior staff, and the candidate that sit on the other side of this bordering table here, and we give them an hour and we speak to them. We talk talk about their whole progress throughout the whole thing. They get tested. Uh, um, across a number of different domains throughout the 36 hours, yep. including a buddy rating a Kim's game and all those that sorts of things, awesome. aptitude testing, reflex testing, all that sort of stuff. And we give them feedback based on not only the cohort of the camp that they were doing it with, but also the cohort of all the camps that done it with us. We keep mm. all that data. Yeah. So they get a real-time understanding of where they sit in the in the mix, and they also yes. get an understanding where they sit against the benchmark of those who've done this camp and past selection. So you can't That's get better you. than that in terms mm. of where you sit. In that mix, so they get a yep. realistic understanding where they are on that continuum. We've got no chance to whether I think you're a really good candidate with a bit more training, I think you'll pass or you'll get picked up. And we can say that now with a fair amount of certainty. That's uh, awesome. I think yeah. been 100, 100,
0: certain,
1: 100 percent so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's really because that the Carter camps. That's Carter camp. All the camps are 36 yep. hours. Next camp is a chaos camp, which is navigation. So it's gotcha. where really a lot of people fall apart. We teach them how to land, navigate take them up to where selection is likely to be held and we go through and do that in that terrain And yeah. um, but we don't do it, we do it day and night so they have do have to walk at night but they get to walk quite night at night when they're, when they're um, navigating yep. and it certainly adds a layer lay of difficulty to it and the checkpoints don't stand out so the checkpoints are only little stakes in the ground with little bits of ribbon on them so they actually have to make sure they're right on the money when they get there mm. otherwise they'll be, they'll be looking around for a needle in a haystack yeah, um, and we get the feedback back from them saying, "Oh, that was harder than selection," or "That was harder than, than Happy Wanderer," or, yeah. you know, if I can find a stick in the middle of the, in the, in the middle of a yeah. low hanging bush in Lanceland, I can find a checkpoint of a guy standing under a tarp with a yeah. with a water jury waiting for me <laughs> to come in and do push ups or whatever. So, that's right. so, um, so yeah, if we make it harder than we can, how is possible within that thirty six hours? We're doing our job, and and mm. that's uh, that. So it's it's, it's Tough love, I guess, tough love is that yep. way to describe it. It's that we're posing as much hardship on them as we possibly can, doing it safely. Yep. Um, and also being able to read the person because they're at different levels of fitness.
3: Yeah. So, okay,
1: that's enough of a dose for you. Um, sit down for a bit longer or you'll have a shorter leak to do or have a cup of tea or whatever. Yeah. And then the last camp we do is the Urban Survival Camp where it's, Urban Survival. Yeah. So it's the Havoc Camp. It's havoc. So it's chaos, ca- uh, uh, Carter, Chaos and Havoc having is urban survival where um if you as an operator and you go on your Rio cycle you do uh, continuation courses which are very much in the um space of knowing how to move and operate in a built-up urban area yeah and it's a cool course it's the funnest course we do it's intense but it's still cool like it's still fun um they're all fun to degrees but this one also (laughs) and uh we teach them how to be an operator. We teach them how we, how we would run a holding area, how we, we would, he would shape up for a job, how we would prepare for a job, how we would set everything out, how we would rehearse, how we would take in information and how we'd process the information without giving too much away. It's very, very yeah. very, very high, high-level stuff yeah. because you only cover so much in 36 hours anyway and throw so much content into it. But it becomes fun where it culminates in a hostage rescue mm-hmm. at the end where one of our staff no. gets selected to become a hostage, and, and uh, <laughs> have you been like a suspect you... until he's positively ID'd, which is part of it. Got and to. Uh, and, and yeah. you say everyone enjoys it, everyone has, has to get something out of it. But the, but the main thing for those guys and girls who think this is the job, we want to say we want to sell this job, saying this is the sort of stuff you get to do. You know, yeah. but you get to do it with real guns, and you get to do it with real information and real threat, and in a real situation, and it's still fun. You know, yeah, it's still fun, but don't, obviously you've got to, it's serious work. You've got, to, you've got to be careful what you wish for when you're doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, um, yeah. if, it's, if this speaks to you, then that job will definitely speak to you. It's, it definitely will fit the bill.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome,
1: man. All right,
0: those, those sound awesome. That's brilliant to hear. Oh, we're going to make sure that we have uh, the links and stuff, all that sort of thing in the description. But um, I'm just making sure i got this information right. Omnigox.com. Yeah that's for your exploration stuff. We've obviously got the Mill Gym and we've got those three camps that we just spoke about, the Carter camp, Camp Chaos and Camp Havoc. Yep. Um, and the Mimicking the selection is the Carter one, the Camp Chaos or Chaos Camp is the more navigation focused and we got the Camp Havoc which is the urban survival, the fun cool stuff. Uh, they're yeah, all definitely. fun and cool, but yeah, that's it cool. that sounds like that's a lot awesome. of
1: fun. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know, in New Zealand, I think, do you guys have gel blasters in New Zealand? They have what, yeah, sorry? Gel blasters, they're actually, they look like real guns, but they fire out little balls of gel.
0: Oh, if they do, bro, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't. Uh, I've. I think I've seen the, are they the ones on your guys' videos? I've seen the Well, video. They, were, they were made illegal in WA, so that's why we're oh. using their guns.
3: Nerf guns.
1: But they're guns on steroids. <laughs> we, had to, we had to beef up the springs in them so they punch, them, punch <laughs> <up some tape. laughs>
0: I'm not surprised you have gone and tinkered with those and beefed them up. <laughs> <laughs> not surprised at all.
2: Wait, wait hang on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brian, did you have any um, questions that you wanted to ask Nick while we got you?
2: Mm, no, I've got nothing further that I can think of. I, I just think it's just been insightful. Um, mm. I was really just thinking about the, the theme that I get, there was a thread all, all the way through is culture and culture each strategy. You know, we've heard that from a lot of different places, but um, understanding the culture, then understanding the the game, the rules, the processes that you go through, and it can all help build up, to can coherently bring things together. But you know what? The other thing that really got me, and you said this, is that community built on trust, but what does trust mean? And what does that look like? Because in, in in my space, we, we bandy this around because um, we I work with corporates and teams and so forth, and we talk about, um, well, we've got to build small teams, and it's built on trust, but I don't think, well, what does that look like? Uh, and and yeah. most people can't answer it, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, I mean, part, part of it is the empathy factor, you know, you, you, mm. know, you really exercise empathy in any situation across cultural barriers, across you know, um, gender barriers, whatever it is, the ability to see, put yourself in someone else's shoes is part of that. Um, mm. and it, it's a skill that you, you never, you never, I'm still trying to develop mm. myself, you're still trying to learn it. But if you understand that part, then trust comes, just as because it just comes because we're we're built to trust. I mean, we we trusted our parents as we grew up. Mm. We we had no other frame of reference. That was just trust. But that mm. trust is actually a big part of love. You know, we don't have yeah. love without trust. Mm. So we've got to be that person that put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and say, okay, if what's that person thinking based on how the world is around it, or how I represent myself or the perception I'm giving. And that'll give me an insight into what, you know, building the trust, you know, not trying to be manipulative or even trying to influence, just being you. Uh, and a good example is uh, going back to Joe uh, working in a patrol with Joe. Like I'd, I'd, I'd only just joined, so i come from uh, the infantry and then join the commandos and then working in a raiding platoon and then going to a, a recon platoon. There's a different way of operating between those three different um, mm. areas. Mm. And so I'll... Going to a patrol with a with a New Zealand group guy, Joe, and then our first patrol, I just saw this guy sitting there, and he was just this presence where it was an outward focus on what's going on around his patrol to keep his patrol safe, to do his job. Mm-hmm. And you also had this feeling that if anything kicked off, he's the guy that you have to stand behind. <laughs> do not stand in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> so knowing that, you know, that what well, that it, it builds in this level of that. Okay, this guy is authentic. This guy is, mm. is walking the walk. This guy is not only talking the talk when he does talk, but he's watching much, but his actions are more than anything. You yeah. know? And, and you see that, that, when you, that, that having that presence is really reassuring when you're on your own with four other guys in the middle of nowhere and you're just relying on each other. And so if you be that person that's worthy of trust and you're authentic, trust will come. Trust will present itself, but you have to be that person not only in public, but at home, because then that's, that's the authentic part about it. It's not mm-hmm. an act just for people to see. So um, so it's hard to yeah. define what it is, but it's relatively easy to understand how we build it. And, but that's the hardest part, is actually, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where all the effort goes into this, is that you have to be that person uh, when people are not watching, when people are not looking. Because sooner or later, people will see it for what it is. If it's mm. false, and then you won't have any chance to build that trust. So, um, yeah, that's where it's at. You know, you, you, you've got to represent. You've got to. You've got to be that thing. So you're going to do something. That's what you got to do. You can pivot. You can change your mind because that's we just learn as we go. We might learn that's not the right way to go. But if you hold true to it, and you say, "Look, I think I, I, this is why I, I changed my mind." And is you're just open about it. Just honest about it. That's that's good enough, but yeah. you just got to do what you said you would do, and uh, that that's the easiest way to build it. It's hard, it's hard yeah. to
3: do, mm-hmm. yeah. but
1: that's where the rubber is to road.
3: Yeah. Awesome, okay. man. Yeah.
0: Thanks very much for that, Nick Bro. This has been awesome. I've got a whole bunch of I've actually got pages of uh, notes and stuff here <laughs> from the things that you've shared, which is oh, right, which is okay. awesome. Um, so I think, you know, from, from my side, if I can take some time here just to to wrap this up with you, one, from on behalf of both Brian and I, absolute privilege and honour to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being on here. Thank you for sharing the insights that you've shared. There's so much here to unpack around understanding processes, creating better people, humbling yourself and being able to be worthy of that trust and respect of your teammates and those around you allowing greater bandwidth to absorb that information. And I loved how you spoke about those those processes and culture along this journey. And as we've been speaking, integrity and doing what you say you're going to do. You, you're somebody, you're a man who's lived by that ever since I've known you. And, and it's evident in the things that you've been able to do and create with the wonderful people that you have surrounding you and supporting you and the way that you support them. Just an incredible story with regards to overcoming chronic fatigue, those six months in bed, 23 hours a day, having the support of your lovely wife, um, more than nine months of that in the 13 month, and the fact that you're so open about that, I think will be really helpful for a lot of people that struggle in a lot of other different spaces, because I we didn't get into, but I'm sure there'd be many other aspects of mental health issues and challenges as well, which you've overcome and continue to work through and help support other people in. Planning ahead, I love that aspect about what I've known and recognised in you and seen how you've yeah, how you've gone about planning things and looking at the bigger picture. You definitely have that strategic view in mind of how can or what is the next step or what if this happens, which is a great sign of a leader. Uh, not only a manager, you speak about managing people and setting them up, but your leadership comes through in everything that you've done to date and just uh, is reinforced by the privilege that we've had of having you on this podcast Huge one, benefit of the doubt, man, that uh, really warms my heart to hear mm-hmm. you speak about that and those things that you've spoken about, giving people the benefit of the doubt. I think, you know, these things, that's the reason why I've got so many notes scribbled down. They're really going to resonate with people, Nick, not just in Australia but here in Aotearoa, in New Zealand uh, and anywhere around the world where we'll be putting this out and hopefully people will take the time to listen. Building a community, people that you can trust, um, that can do attitude, the the mill brand and stuff itself and how it's been built on trust your aspects and approach to managing and leading people um, the setting up setting up the next generation is what I've gotten from the themes that you've spoken about your person that's looking ahead, looking to pay it forward, looking to how can we improve and create the better, generational better version of ourselves so that they're you know more capable more experienced more knowledgeable all those sorts of things and i love what rings through for me is your desire to want to leave the sandy bear and wing dagger in a better position than when you had the privilege or when we had the privilege to hold it and wear it um operationally or, or you know currently and that sort of thing so beautiful time with you my friend it's so good to see you good to see you looking well and looking sharp and that you're able to lift everything um, and able to still get out shooting and able to get out and enjoy the surfing but brother I just want to mention I love you very much and your family grateful for you and, and the things that you've shared in here and our time together serving side by side having those privileges and opportunities to to serve at your side and to learn from you equally and in, in the same way So. Great to have you on here, bro, and
1: thank you for your time on this podcast. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Same to you. I really appreciate the time. Too. Really good to connect, even if it's, uh, you know, what's this? What's the time difference? Five hours difference? Five hours. Yeah, yeah. five hours. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked that we could get together, regardless of how, whatever, whatever medium we use. Yeah. I really appreciate the time. Really appreciate your your time as well, Brian. And thanks for the opportunity to speak as well, like. Um, uh, uh, you, you guys, what you guys are doing, it should be absolutely more of it because, you know, the best thing we do is pay it forward and you guys are opening up the, the channels for us to, whatever way we can, get as much information as you can. And whilst it might not be me, I might, might not be the person that speaks to everyone. But the more people you get on, they'll take a little bit from everyone. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing too, not just the chance to correct you again, brother. I really loved it. Thank you. Awesome.
0: awesome Thank you. Though, you're welcome. And as always, we close this off with Who Dares Wins. If you enjoyed this conversation, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. Be sure to hit that notification bell so that you can be kept up to date with more inspiring messages from amazing New Zealanders each and every week. If you found this discussion helpful, we invite you to share this link with your networks and tag Brian and I when you do. We would love to hear from you, so please be sure to leave us a review so that we can continually strive to provide the best service possible. As Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. We thank you for your support Aotearoa and we're excited to partner with you in working together to create a better future.